Uh, hey, Finn, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing okay, Yufa. How are you doing? I, I, I never ask that. <laughs> you, I mean, you ask when you arrive. Yeah. And I say, like, neutral or, or bad. Yeah. When, like, I should be honest and be, like, really <laughs> reflecting on my current state of being is, is at points quite a medically dangerous thing for yeah. me to do. Boy, you, you could say, like, hanging on by a Fred, a Fred Flintstone, and then... You say yabba dabba do, and then I'm like, oh wow, what a what a crazy guy. Do you remember my great joke about Fred Flintstone? No. Um, uh, it's about how I'm just going to do it for the podcast because right. I because I think it's funny about how ABBA is a band oh, uh, no, okay, steeped yes, in the no, arcane. I, I, yes, I do remember this bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember this now. Yeah, it's good. It's a good bit. Yeah. Uh, we'll skip to the end. The punchline, you don't need the connective material, is me saying that Yabba Dabba Do, that Fred Flintstone yells, is a magic binding spell <laughs> to protect himself that goes on into infinity, and that Yabba Dabba Do is in fact an acronym that contains itself. So Yabba Dabba Do, the letters in Yabba Dabba Do stand for Yabba Dabba Do, Abba Dabba Do, Babba Dabba Do, Ba Dabba Do, Ah Dabba Do, Dabba Do, Abba Do, Babba Do, Ba Do, Ah Do, Do, Oo, and Oh. It's a good bet. Bet when I was really good at comedy and no one noticed. And unlike next time when I'm going to be hot and good at comedy and everyone's going to be like, we've suddenly discovered that you're good at comedy. And I'm going to be like, no, you can just better look at me. Anyway. Ben, you discovered possibly the greatest cinematic resource uh, of all time. Obviously, this welcome to, to Shite Sound. My name is Yutha Shite. And I am Finn Sound Nicholas. Uh, this podcast where we uh, watch a film from the BFI Top uh, 100 list and yep. then a film that goes with it. And, and for a long time, you know, we chose the BFI Top 100 list um, because it is... Kind of the top lists, kind of the. It seems the most interesting, the crunchiest, yeah. and, and, and most it, it, real. Yeah, it, it's 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 one of the more diverse, best films of all time list. Yeah. It's it's one that's made by like asking like tons of directors and critics rather than like a, yeah. rather than a few people just deciding for everyone else. Yeah, and, and there's a transparency in 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 process. Yeah, and like as stuffy as the BFI may seem, like one of the great joys of sight and sound as a magazine throughout its history has been, it has never really subscribed to the like, um, high low dynamic. Mm. Like they've given good reviews to, to action films. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but you recently found a list that I think has more weight Mm. and it's certainly what I'm going to look to as the new taste maker in, in cinema. It is, conservapedia's list of the most conservative films yeah. right well, it, it's 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 called essay colon great conservative films <laughs> okay and i yeah you, you found some goodies yes care to share them some of the greatest conservative movies are the adaptation of 1984 starring john hurt yeah of course uh, and their, their, their description of why this is on the list is uh, the big screen adaptation of the iconic conservative text from george orwell no 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 it's George or good. <laughs> Superman does George or well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was worth a retake, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I do you think Eric Arthur Blair is turning in his grey. Like, <laughs> is he a perpetual motion machine now? <laughs> I, I I I think by this point, uh, after 
70 years of con- of conservative <laughs> misreading and and twisting his works i think he has just like spun himself into dust i believe there is a beautiful and delicious irony to the con- to conservatives reading 1984 and being like yeah this is good 1984 being about a dystopian future where all nuance is forcibly removed <laughs> Um, so uh, uh, the, uh, a, another film on, on the list of, uh, of of great conservative films is uh, 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 is American History X. Uh, I mean, yeah, of course. And neo-Nazi open brackets, but Nazis were left-wing socialists, even though the left has tried denying it. Close brackets <laughs> overcomes his racism and anti and anti-Semitism after being sent to jail for mo- for voluntary manslaughter and does everything in his power to prevent his brother from following the same path of destruction. Okay. But there was one entry on that list that I think reveals so much about (laughs) film as a genre, whether people should be allowed to see it, whether criticism should be in some way gatekept. What is that entry? The entry you read and I laughed for a full minute. Yeah, they have a list of the greatest conservative movies, they have a list of the worst liberal movies, yeah. but then at the bottom of their list of the greatest conservative movies, they have a secondary list called Debatable with Conservative. <laughs> now, th- th- this is a list that includes uh, Cars 1 and Cars 3. Uh, Cars 2 is on the uh, list of worst liberal films. <laughs> but like, according to them, the series started and ended strong. Okay, so this this is on the uh, this is on the this is on the debatable with conservative list. It's surrounded by things like Edward Scissorhands and uh, Full Metal Jacket yeah. and uh, Gattaca <laughs> and Grave of the Fireflies imagine... and Halloween Free Season of the Witch. Um, and... Imagine watching Gattaca, a dystopian film about eugenics, and being like, "Yeah, this is debatably conservative." Yeah. Like, oh my god! So this movie is a legendary X-rated animated freakout Fritz the Cat yeah. by Ralph Bakshi, the, f- the like godfather of weird pervy animation. Yeah. And, the, and Robert Crumb didn't think it was pervy enough, so yeah. he killed off Fritz the Cat. This is why Conservopedia <laughs> thinks that this film, is, this film about a cat fucking and doing drugs <laughs> is debatably conservative. The movie has a brief moment that promotes shipping weapons to Israel. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> what, what could be more debatably conservative than that? I mean, they're not wrong. No, they're not. But a brief moment <laughs> that promotes shipping weapons to Israel. I just... I, it's such... It is the strangest reach I have ever seen for a, movie that, for a movie that is designed to make conservatives mad. Yeah, and... Uh, but like living the life of the person who who somehow sees Fritz the cat and his first thought on the scene that that refers to brief mention of selling arms to Israel like oh there my 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 ideology perfectly represented it is just this is what it must this is this is what it must have felt like for african americans to see black panther uh well, Parasite is also on the list of conservative films. Yeah, because it, because it's pro nuclear family and it's constantly misinterpreted by stupid liberals. But really, Parasite is apparently how liberals are true parasites. 
It's so, like Bong Joon-ho is uh, not explicitly a communist, but he's like pretty much as close as we're going to get a major filmmaker. Yeah, my, <laughs> these the, days. The, my favorite quote about that film is him being like, I thought it was just a small South Korean film, but no, it turns out capitalism is the city we all live in. Yeah. And like, imagine seeing a film with that as its basis and being like, oh, this is a pretty great city. <laughs> the pro- You see them in their flooding house and you're like, the problem here, the market's just not free enough. <laughs> At least he had the the choice to smash that man in the head with the rock. Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. Ben, shut the fuck up! Ah, ah. What are you doing here? It's my intro. No. What? What's happening? It's our 50th episode. Yes. So that means that finally (laughs) I will take control this week. We're not watching films from the BFI Top 100 list. We're not? No. As we mentioned last week. <laughs> oh, oh, right. We are watching Children of Men, brackets 2006. What, by, by, by the Harry Potter guy? <laughs> I mean, call it the Great Expectations guy. Itamama Tambian guy. Yeah. Mr. Gravity himself. Yeah. Kamakoma, Jamaica, and Roma. And uh, with that... We're watching another film that's equally as good. And the film that was critically reviled. <laughs> Not reviled. Uh, yeah, a bit. Oh, I mean, but by, by audiences, it, 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 it had, a, I'd say, muted critical reception. I don't really remember noticing one at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a strange time. That's right. It's Suspiria. The good Suspiria. 2018. L- Luca Guadagino. That's right. Call him by your name. It's Luca. I am love Guadagino. Do you like nudity and exploding heads? You'll love maybe Suspiria 2018. <laughs> well, I just thought. It, 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 it's one of those movies where, like, even if you like all the stuff that it's doing, you still might hate it. I just. Oh, I have. Okay. So, yeah, I just. I'm, thought it would be fun to celebrate a milestone by breaking the format a little when we get to a hundred you'll choose two films yeah forest of love and forest of love deep <laughs> cut or forest of love deep cut and then forest of love deep fuck there's a guy on youtube well, there, yeah we'll watch forest of love deep cut and the tv cut of love exposure <laughs> there's a there's a guy on youtube who who gets millions of views and who is constantly in my recommendations in a way that really makes me hate what the algorithms think I am, which is whatever the new Disney Plus TV show episode is, mm. Mandalorian, WandaVision, yep. Captain America's and his funny friends. Um, it, it's Doctor Who, but with Tom Hiddleston. So essentially the, the Matt Smith years. <laughs> and they're like, oh, but they're... There's an evil female Loki, mm. and you're like, oh, so it, so it, it's if Matt Smith had stayed through the the Capaldi years, yeah. and you're like, oh yeah, and it's got this dark fairy tale time bit. Yeah, on oh, okay, just just watch Stephen Moffat's. Do- anyway, um, and all of his, all of it's it's good, and mm. almost I, I would look at like there, there's a lot of interesting writing about Stephen Moffat and and whether he's a feminist, and I think it's worth pointing out 
that a lot of the stuff that comes out saying that he absolutely isn't was uh, written by people deep in the trenches of internecine dangerous fan wars um, who were largely doing that to prove the point that the fact that Stephen Moffat hadn't made Sherlock canonically gay made him a monster. Yes, no, you were talking about uh, something yeah, else. No, no, I'm just... <laughs> I'm I'm in control. Okay, okay. I'm just, just the, I'm just making sure. Look, is this the first episode of season two of Mister Robot? Because this is an interesting and compelling battle for control and authorship within a narrative that has well earned a moment to really get involved in itself. Is this for a breakout hit song from Ghostbusters two? Because <laughs> something something takes control. <laughs> Uh, is this that film about Ian Curtis that's like very good, mm. but it's not great. It's very, it looks mm. beautiful. Yeah, it's the only film where I've ever uh, suspended disbelief for about like a second and a half. I was able to suspend disbelief and then uh, all my awareness came crashing back to me. But it was like, well, oh, it's the first time that's ever happened. At what point? The point where they're playing transmission on, on TV and there's, there's a bit where he, he starts dancing. It was just a bit where I was like, oh, fuck, that's Ian Curtis for like a second and a half. And then... At all, I was like, "Oh no, no, I'm watching a movie," but it was real weird. <laughs> it's like that. I'm and, laughing with yeah, you, you know. Like, I'm not. It's like that, and one moment in Gemini Man, I like, <laughs> you know, in Gemini Man when he's in his like, little wooden boat at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I saw that in like high frame rate in 3D. When I saw that boat for the first time, I was like, "Well, that's not a movie boat. That's a real boat." <laughs> I, I can't accept that as a as a boat in a movie because it looks too real, and it just like. No, I've, it just really fucked me up. <laughs> <laughs> I just really, <laughs> I, <laughs> I just really think this is why you should relax. <laughs> like we were about to talk. Like the first time I saw Children of Men, I was inside it the whole fucking time. Yeah, it uh, never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> And you love film. I do. It's great, but I but I'm never not aware of the fact that I'm a spectator watching a film. It just what you're describing to me from my perspective is like, yeah, I love art. I love modern art. I've never been to an art gallery. I've only gone through those virtual Google Maps tours. <laughs> Where you're like, yeah, like, yes, there's nothing wrong with what you're saying. It's just like if you were like, I have a regular normal human life yep. i'm just always wearing a spacesuit. <laughs> <laughs> always <laughs> um, but there is a guy <laughs> on youtube and he with all of those the disney plus shows mm. he does videos which are, i watched this week's episode of uh, captain america and his funny friends yeah at 25% speed, and here is what I noticed, and he gets millions of views, and it just, oh, right? Yeah. That's what you're going to make us do. You're going to make us watch Fast, Fast and Furious Deep Cut, and then Fast and Furious Forest of Love, the deep cut at 25% speed. I don't know, no. It'll probably be like, I think it'll probably be like a Peter Watkins film, and... A Wheater Popkins film? No, it'll, it'll be like... It'll, it'll be a film by Peter Watkins and then like Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Yeah, so I I don't know. I just, I, I've i cut a lot from previous episodes, me being repeatedly just incredibly galled that you have not seen Children of Men. 
because I think it is like a defining, a monolithic text, mm. uh, especially of the current mainstream. You see its tendrils everywhere. Uh, and I was like, I also want to talk about Suspiria 2018 because I like that film and want to talk about it. And that's why they're paired up. No, yeah. no. Why they're paired up is that they, they are two um, uh, foreign, if you will, directors reflecting uh, on totalitarianism uh, of white people mm. through heavily altered adaptations of of somewhat loved texts but niche texts mm. with um Afonso Caron adapting well with other writers PD James novel Children of Men and, and Ludogranagino um of course adapting The Wicker Man uh, <laughs> no is Dario Argento's Suspiria. So, but I want to know, I could talk about either of these films forever, but I want to know mainly what it was like for you to see Children of Men for the first time. Well, it was... So, okay. So, Children of Men, 2006, did not seem so on the nose (laughs) at the time. Seeing it now, Children of Men, uh, uh, everyone in the world has become... Uh, no babies are being born. Yeah, it's been 18 years since since the last child was born. Yeah, baby Diego, but he just died. Yeah, there, there is something like a 100% infertility rate. Yeah, and uh, the the entire world has descended into chaos. With uh, with Britain, the last surviving strong, proud country. Britain stands strong. Yeah, Britain soldiers on. That's what it says. Yeah. And uh, in this, uh, we meet uh, Clive Owen is is uh-huh. is Theo, uh, a, a detached alcoholic. Uh, yeah, is, he, is he like a he's he's got some sort of government job? Yeah, right? he's at the Ministry of Energy. Oh, okay, um, but yeah, he just sits just sits at a desk staring at a screen. He doesn't really uh, he he he's a cold and distant man. Yeah. Uh, the first scene is him nearly being blown up when a cafe is bombed, uh, and, and he doesn't really react. Well, he goes, Ugh. oh yeah, and yeah, he, fr- but he throws it- his coffee everywhere. And <laughs> yeah. that, that seems like it really bothers him, but he lost his coffee. <laughs> no, <laughs> like it certainly bothers him more than more than when the one of the things I knew about this movie was it's full of wonners. Yeah. There are like several major scenes which are all done in, in one take. And a lot of minor, like, mm. uh, all, I, I think it would be easier to list the amount of scenes that are done in a standard way. Yeah. Uh, a lot of scenes in this film are presented with a roving master mm. with a couple of inserts. Yeah. yeah. This first scene starts inside this coffee shop where people are watching the news of the death of Baby Diego, the youngest person in the world. Yeah, everyone and, is shocked, staring yeah, up at uh, the yeah, news. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's, it's devastating for all these people because this, this was, you know, the like, last sort of hope that any of them had for, uh, for the human race to continue. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, well, there's, there's, an, there's now I, I, uh, I, the, there's another youngest person in the world. Sure. They're, they're, uh, who's a woman who's a couple of days younger than baby Diego. So Old, older. older. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And so big old Clive walks in. Yeah. You always forget how big Clive Owen is. <laughs> he is like a, uh, he's a big sack of man. Yeah. And like his, his, his just sort of like face is bigger than a lot of humans. His face seems like 
like the comedy and tragedy masks have merged <laughs> together. Yeah, there's um, just so much going on in it. You know, the, 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 this, this is this is the second Clive Owen film we've watched for this podcast. What was the first? Food fight. No, no. Uh, he he, uh, he, he uh, has an I believe uncredited cameo in 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 one of the films. That's right. It's the Pink Panther. That's right. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. He he's he's got that one scene in the Pink Panther. That's yes, where he's like James Bond. Yeah, which like, is he's like riffing on. Is, yeah. is that like the same year as this? Or was that a couple of years earlier? No, I think it's the same year, yeah. yeah. This was kind of at peak Owen, even though he never really had a peak. Yeah, he was a guy who started off doing like English movies and people were like, oh, yeah, this yeah. guy. Closer and, was his big right, yeah. breakout. Yeah, um, and, and yeah, and people, people kept thought he was going to hit in, in the United States, but like he, he never really did. He had duplicity with Julia Roberts, but, which didn't hit... He had the international, which I think is very good, but did not hit yeah. at all. Uh, but now he just kind of bumbles around, turning yeah, up and things yeah, like, like Gemini like, Man, yeah, Gemini yeah. Man, or a Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. And I well, because he is in some ways, he has the face of a fifties movie star. Yeah. Like, uh, like he, it, it, it seems obscene. He has not been a hard boiled detective in a noir. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and, and like I guess mute, not mute. Um, the uh the Amanda Seyfried film he's in is kind of trying to do that a little bit, where people can see different. It doesn't oh, matter. Yeah. It's on Netflix. It's oh, bad. Is, is it called Anon? Yes, yeah, Anon. Yeah, uh, it, it's kind of building towards that. But like, there's so much. He has yeah. such a high definition face. He's yeah. the Caucasian Trejo. It doesn't get more hardboiled than shoot him up. I mean, <laughs> then he did. A, he he has a sub career of riffs on the fact that it seemed inevitable in a way that he would be the next James Bond. Yeah. Because there was he was the driver in a bunch of BMW shorts. Okay. Um, he is the person, he is the first operative Jason Bourne kills in, in the Bourne identity. Right, yes, yeah. Um, and, and obviously, there's Shoot'em-Up. Obvi- there's, there's the Pink Panther scene. And, and which are all, yeah, kind of riffs on the idea of being like, this guy's... It's just going to be James Bond yeah. in the way that kind of Idris Elba is kind of making a career of this now. Mm. Like uh, in the way that Elba in Fast and the Furious in, in, in Fast pre- and Furious presents, presents Hobbs and Shaw, Shaw, the ninth Fast and Furious film. Um, uh, not to be in that. Uh, well, 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 one of two watchable perform. No, well, one of three watchable performances in the movie. Idris Elba, Vanessa Kirby, Eddie Marson. Uh, Statham. Like, right, well, he's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure there's a, a like, and Mirren isn't in it. Eh? Well, I think I think she's got like one scene right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but also, I do not know Clive Owen's mind, but I hope he's happy to have just done stuff like there are not many outright stinkers in his career. Mm. Like, Shoot 'Em Up is a film that is pointedly and gleefully disposable and dumb yeah and and kind of by design can be no one's favorite film yeah but and and, and, yeah but like it 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 absolutely succeeds at what it's trying to do and it is yeah it it is a super fun movie which he is very good which he is very good in and um apparently the neck is the is is right the 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 the, the soderbergh show the soderbergh show yeah i've I've heard that's really good yeah by i've i've heard 
I keep hearing on the level of like this is no, this is the new Wire thing. This yeah, is yeah. the show that's actually incredible that no one has seen. Yeah, which is what the Wire was like before everyone saw the Wire. Oh, that's right. He was Arthur and King Arthur. Which, right. Yeah. Not great. And like the International was like basically rejected by critics. Yeah. But like. As, as I said, I think that film is really good, and, especially the Guggenheim shootout. Yeah, I, I, I've not seen it. I, I, I look forward to it. But like he and there is something I just or like I have a lot of love and respect for Clive Owen, mm. but also at the same time, recognizing that it comes from loving this film right so yeah. much and, and and the Theo at the center of this film, this like kind of crumpled, broken man who who alternates like he, he gets in the car with michael kane and michael kane's like ah i'm glad you didn't get any milk or else you'd be dead how was it and he goes it was fucking horrible <laughs> and you like you you buy that he has just been shocked into blankness when mm. he goes into work and he said they're playing the news about baby diego dying and the woman opposite him uh, uh, surrounded by nationalist me- regalia is yeah. crying and he looks at her blankly and then goes to his boss and says i'm i just feel very affected by the death of baby diego <laughs> and then, like when he's going to meet his cousin and goes into the tape modern and he empties his pockets and what he has is um keys loose money cigarettes and a bottle of whiskey yeah and as much as that's like a cartoon character <laughs> Right, yeah, like yeah. like rumpled mummy. Like I absolutely buy this man, and the 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 first act of this film is like, look at this man. Of course, this is how you'd be in this world. He's a hopeless man in a hopeless world, and then the the rest of the film where he he only does good because there's money in it, mm. and because his ex girlfriend is involved. Well, and because that ex girlfriend is Julianne Moore. I mean, yeah, hooray, yeah. Um, and. and well, and, she has and, him kidnapped and threatened at gunpoint yeah, by Charlie Hunnam and Chewy Tilly Joe for yeah, and and yeah, and he's like, oh man, if I work with these guys, I get to hang out with Chewy Tilly Joe for more. Yeah, I'll do, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that dude was the operative. <laughs> <laughs> that dude was k- Kinky Boots. Hmm? Yeah, and the, he, he he was uh, he was David Mamet's red belt. He was uh, I don't know. He's been Othello, right? <laughs> <laughs> That guy was Scar in John Favreau's The Lion King. Oh, right, yeah. God damn it. (laughs) Fucking hell. Yeah. Oh, mate, why? Everyone needs money. Yeah, but, like, not that much money. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, and, like, Churchill, like, obvious breakout Amistad, right? But... Oh, right, yeah. Oh, he's in Maleficent 2. He's Dr. Watson in Sherlock Gnomes. Oh, right, yeah, he is. Um... Jesus. Like, anyway, what a cast. Stacked cast. Yeah. Part of that is me thinking that because... Because it's this movie. Because it is, because I love this movie. But also, I think it is. Like, who else is on the cast? There's Claire um, uh, uh, Pam Ferris, Mm. uh, who who is great if you know to look for her, and of course had previously worked with Curran in... As you mentioned, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, the best Harry Potter movie. Oh, by not, it's yeah, not yeah. a competition, right? It, it is like any arguments, and, and it is, I believe, very telling that if you... That, that, that all the later Harry Potter films look like that one. Yeah, and yeah. Are, are, are riffing on it. Yes. Um, yeah. and it, it's, it's got like one of the uh, few like well-deployed Hunnams. I, I like... He is someone who, like even in things that I like... 
I can find so fucking wooden. But I think the fact that that here he's like he's got crazy dreadlocks and he's running around just screaming at people and firing guns. Yeah, I think that that allows him to be pretty fun. I I think I think the curse of Charlie Hunnam uh, is twofold. One is that another person who's played King Arthur. Oh yeah, um, is the 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 world's first exposure to him, and it was an exposure mm. was, was the British queer as folk. Mm. Where where he who plays Nathan, who's kind of the viewpoint character, at least through the first half, you know, for the first four of the ten episodes. Um, if you've not seen that, it's fucking, uh, it's it's great, and it's still great now. It's not of its time. Yeah. Um. I mean, it is a bit. It is really of its time, <laughs> but it, it's not just a time capsule. It's yeah, not yeah. just interesting. It's still good. Um. And and that and in in some ways he he already shows that he is incredibly good at being a blank protagonist. He is someone you project onto. He is, he's a screen that you, that, that light shows on. He is not a light himself. Right. Um, and, and like that shows like another time he works, I think is Pacific Rim in which he's in another one of those roles. And I think the, the terrible news for him is that, in general, people have moved away. People have, even in the most mainstream of works, as 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 the myth of the superhero has become a kaiju and crushed the world, uh, is that central characters become have become much more specific and much less broad. Right, yeah. and he is not good at playing specific. Even though in this he's white man with dreads with a gun, you know, which is a very specific role. Yeah. Um. And but also, it's not one of the classic Jungian archetypes. But also, like Danny Houston, Peter right, yes. Mullen, Michael Caine, it, 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 and everyone giving these really weird, like gritty, strange performances. Yeah. We. I think the way is to, it, there's a bit where Michael Caine does a dance that involves him pretending to jerk off. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. to to Aphex yeah, twin, twin after giving some strawberry cough marijuana to 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 Clive Owen in a forty million dollar <laughs> action film. Like it is so weird, um, and and for a film that is so weird, I think like the impressive thing about Children of Men beyond the fact that it is, uh, I. I think profoundly moving, uh, thematically interesting, is that it is incredibly influential. Like, yeah. so yeah, so Theo is is, uh, is the sad, lonely, blank man. He he meets up with his with his friend Jasper, who's Mike O'Kane, who who who's a uh, uh, who's a former award winning political cartoonist. Yeah, uh, um, who who lives with his. A uh, wife who was tortured into catatonia for being a photojournalist yep. by MI5. Uh, and well, okay, to be fair, <laughs> they do have a press clipping on the wall that says MI5 denies involvement with torture of photojournalists. So I think there's still some questions to be asked about whether or not MI5 were involved. Uh, and Maybe she did it herself. Well, and that is, and, and this is, that that sequence when we first go into Michael Caine's little uh, forest hideaway. Mm. Um, is where we get so much of the exposition in this film is visual. All the spoken exposition exists to give us the literal plot elements. Mm. Everything that is spoken returns. Um, And no one ever really speaks to the world. The way we learn about the world is that we see it. Yeah. You know, like 
uh, he is getting the train out to Jasper's house and they pass a billboard. It's not even the center of the frame that says uh, um, missing fertility tests is a crime, but it is old and battered. And then people start angrily throwing things at the train and the train is running and is running that ad. It's like Kuala Lumpur has fallen. Tokyo has fallen. Washington has fallen. Only Britain stands strong. Soldiers on. Soldiers on. And so like, you know, and it seems like such a fucking obvious thing to say, but all we learn, the way we learn about Jasper's backstory and Jasper and his wife's backstory is through one camera panning over the detritus of their house. Yeah. And it, it, this film genuinely trusts its audience um, it, it, in a way that I kind of wished that was the lesson people had mm. taken from the film, apart from like, oh, we can convincingly stitch together five or six takes to look like one take. Yeah, and then which, which they do it, like a lot better than all the other films that try and do it. Oh, I think. yeah, because... I I oh, I've seen it so much I can see all the seams, but oh, okay. that's because I you know yeah like this is probably partly because I saw like 1917 in the movie theater and I saw this on a TV yeah but like when you watch 1917 you're like okay yeah you, you can you can see where they do it there yeah or or whatever but in this you're like yeah no this all looks like like a 10 minute long take moving yeah. through like seven different buildings covering like a couple of kilometers and and like, this is insane and it is it is also a case of like a lot of the long takes are like like the battle scene at the end is nearly six minutes long mm. and is probably three two minute long incredibly yeah. <laughs> incredibly well choreographed tape takes put together or yeah. like for, like um so it, it it already feels like an achievement mm. um and it is like and but yeah, he 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 then gets kidnapped by um by his ex girlfriends. Yeah, but uh, by a uh, by a a a terrorist group called the Fishers. Yeah, um, who look for for refugee rights. Uh, yeah. Britain has gone hard national. Um, another bit who, of who who could have seen that coming? <laughs> Uh, who, who would have predicted that that England in the late teens, early twenty twenties would uh, would take a, a hardcore exclusionary nationalist stance? Yeah, I, I, as I once tweeted, if I was Alfonso Cuaron, I would just be on Twitter every day going, "Fucking told you guys! I fucking told you guys!" Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Be you, Alfonso Cuaron, you'd. You'd be suing the Conservative Party. <laughs> you, you'd you'd be suing all those hippogriffs. You'd yeah. be suing everyone having a threesome. You're like, I invented all of this. <laughs> Anytime someone has a big expectation, I'd sue them. Every yeah. time someone goes to Rome or is in black and white, I'd sue them. Every time a satellite crashes, you're just like... Yeah, insult to injury. <laughs> Give me money as well. Can I say there is a sequence? Uh, 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 there, there is a sequence in Fast and Furious Nine when they go to space, <laughs> where they smash a satellite with a car, and all I could think of in that moment is like, well, gravity has shown me that they have now doomed everyone on the yeah. International Space Station. Yeah, like, <laughs> like oh, that, no that'd one. Be, will, that'd be it, so <laughs> funny if if someone edited gravity onto the end of Fast Nine. <laughs> You could do it. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Or if, you know, Fast and Furious 10 and 11 are about like, we can't send anything into orbit anymore because of the swirling storm of debris from Tyrese (laughs) and Chris Ludacris Bridges driving a car into a satellite. 
uh, uh, but so uh, the fishers, they they pick him up, and they're like, "Get some travel papers. We need someone to get to, blah." Yeah, uh, and he's like, "Nah," and they're like, "We'll give you money." Yeah, and he's like, "Okay." Yeah, they're like, "We're not going to kill you because Julianne Moore is still in love with you." Yeah, Impl- implicitly, even though you you both lost a child and it, and it's painful and it, and it drove you apart and yeah. neither you ever got over it. Yeah, and. and and there's a real good bit where he's like, yeah, you didn't feel it. And she was like, I felt it every day. Whenever I look at you, I see him. And you're like, oh, <laughs> fuck, it's good. It's good shit. And their dead kid's name was was Dylan. Why am I mentioning that? It may, it may not come back. Anyway, uh, presumably after Bob Dylan. Okay. See, I, uh, I, I did not hear a bit where they said their kid's name was Dylan. So that thing at the end uh, di- uh, did not register with me. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> And so they go to, um, and, and so he's like, fine. And goes out to meet with his cousin, Danny Houston, who runs the Ark for the Arts, which is uh, the Tate Modern, yep. re- turned into a residence. So he sits, has dinner with Danny Houston next to... Next to Guernica. Yeah, with, and, it, and it seems that Danny Houston has gained all this power because he has a young son. Uh, yeah, and in, in the in the like foyer when you first enter into Danny Houston's uh, uh, house, there is um, uh, there is Michelangelo's David, but he's got a robot leg now because part of his leg got broken off. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, they they walk past a Banksy mm. as well. Oh, okay. And- okay. The thing that like, I think this film does like a really good job of like showing the different class strata of how London has been segregated now. Yeah. When I saw that, I was like. Oh, yeah, I've seen a bunch of other movies do this, and they've all done it worse. Yeah. Like the movie In Time with Justin Timberlake does the exact same thing. We're like, oh, there's this like closed off part where the rich people live, and and like Bright does that as well with like yeah. the place where the elves live and stuff. Yeah, but like, but yeah, it, 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 it feels goes, it feels so much like more well realized here. Well, and it is kind of ridiculous to describe because it's like, yeah, he goes into the rich people area, and so he's driving through the rich parts of London, and it's people hanging out with peacocks and yeah. zebras. Yeah, and, and there's, there's, there's there's like there's there's like an army band like wearing wearing their like yeah. fancy uniforms playing in a park, and everyone's everyone's got a poodle. And you, but you like, I don't know, you just buy it, yeah. like. The, this world, the whole point of the single take approach that 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 Quaron uses, uh, um, is to make you feel like you're there, like yeah. it is, like like it's just a documentary camera just capturing things, and and, and that into met, melded with I think the performances and the production design of this film make it seem like like there are things in this film that have not come to pass. Mm. And, and and you know it it's still set six years away maybe yeah. maybe um newspaper ads will be touch screens uh, and things like that but it does it, it absolutely feels real and of a piece yeah and everything seems to have a logic even even if it doesn't yeah and when the credits started one of the things i noticed is that like the two production designers were like credited way earlier than usual in films yeah and like you're like, yes, no, good choice. Well, like, these people have done so much in, in building how, like, the audience engages with this world. Well, and they have a split card with the CGI supervisor. Mm. So, um, and that's because this film has so much CG in it. And if you look for it, you can see that some of it is a bit ropey. Mm. But a lot of it, like, uh, uh, making London even more dystopian, as if that was possible. <laughs> um, yeah, the, it, yeah, like, it, 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 it is... 
it, it is it feels incredibly cohesive for 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 a world with like where, where yeah where 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 a bunch of it is is just like not real stuff um uh, to the point where you could think like you could sell this and be like oh no it was it was actually a 200 million dollar film and they mm. just built everything yeah um even though they 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 definitely didn't um and because if yeah i've seen this film i've done you know if you look for the scenes you know some of those digital signs float a yeah, bit yeah and, like those are really the only things that stand out to me like oh yeah that's definitely cgi oh, and and, and that yeah, in, in the action beats, there, there's stuff, but you don't see it on the first viewing, yeah. and, and that's what fucking matters. Like, when he slams the door into the motorcycle, the motorcycle just becomes a Tonka toy. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 and things like that. Not that and, that and I, 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 I would assume they're, 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 using a lot of, they're, they're using a lot of CGI for, for, like, bullet hits and blood and stuff. Yes, yeah. Because you, when, when you're doing, like, when you're doing super long takes, you, you cannot afford to have to reset if a, like, all the squibs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like if they had to do that, it would have had to be a two hundred million dollar movie. Um, but you don't think about it. Yeah, you. Uh, uh, it just feels real. It feels like you're there, like like you're uh, you're like you're in that moment. And so he agrees. He gets the pass, and they take him, and he meets the person he he will be taking uh, across the country. Who is this uh, young? refugee woman a fuji yeah called, she, she, she was in a band with wycliffe jean <laughs> uh, uh called key who um and let me i just i cannot her her name is claire hope i can never remember her surname claire hope Ashete, oh, yeah. who uh, uh this is one of her first acting roles yeah. uh she's great she has been in a lot of like tv and smaller films right but like she has this incredibly tough job mm of playing uh, a quote-unquote outsider role um, uh, of someone who speaks almost entirely in invented future slang. But to me, she sells it all. Yeah. And we're, we're <laughs> like when she first meets uh, Theo, she's like, ah, oh, they never told me you were so suave. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course. In, in, in 20 years, everyone will say suave <laughs> instead of cool. Yeah, it's, um, it's coming back around. And she is this incredibly, I find her incredibly interesting character, Kay, because she is n- not, because she's pregnant. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and, and that's what they got to do. They got to take her to uh, uh, what you do with the first pregnant woman in 20 years kind of thing. Um, and But she is not an angelic mother figure. No. You know, she is, uh, and... Like the best joke in the film is when he's like, uh, "Do you know the father?" And she goes, "I'm a virgin," <laughs> and and you get a beat of Clive Owen playing like, "Am I in that kind of a film?" Yeah, or or, or, or even be like, "Oh, does she believe this?" Yeah, yeah, and they're just like, "No, if I gotta know his name." Yeah, like she she is she's a mass of nerves and panic and instinct. Mm. She doesn't know. Or what is going yeah. on, and she's like it would be so easy for her to be a plot token, yeah, uh, for her to be reactive, to be the thing that was carried along, the annoying buddy in a buddy cop film, which is what this essentially uh, ends up being, yeah. But she makes so many, but like she is a character who plays her few choices as huge. Like the moment when she decides to show, to reveal to Theo that she's pregnant uh, in this barn f- full of cows, 
um, uh, is this moment of like honesty in a world of lies. And it's just because she feels like she has to know. Mm. And then, uh, you know, Theo finds out that Chuitele for Okay, so they're, they're driving to meet everyone. And then in the car, uh, the camera is in the car for nearly seven minutes yep. while the, Julianne Moore wakes up from... Uh, uh, no, Clive Owen wakes up from a nap. Yeah, they he 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 does some banter with Julianne Moore. And they play a game where they spit a ping pong ball into each other's mouths. Yeah. That ping pong ball is CGI as hell. Oh, when you really look at it, it's just an un untextured sphere. Yeah, but you buy it. Yeah. Um, and but then the camera keeps rolling and rolling as a flaming car gets in their way, and that they're attacked. But by just by just like hill people. Yeah, <laughs> and Julianne Moore. And you can't, and like, it is one of those things where you're like, the moment you see crazy hill people, you're like, oh no, of course some people have just gone back to the forest and yeah. become crazy, crazy hill people. I'd, I'd probably be. Yeah, I mean, some people come out on a motorcycle like, yeah. oh yeah, they're, they're mad maxing it. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and they shoot. Yeah. And they kill Julianne Moore. Yeah, like, shoot, shoot, shoot her right in the throat. A yeah. bunch of blood goes everywhere. Yeah, it sucks. And, and they panic. All of the cars, the CGI windows shatter. <laughs> yeah, that is that. Yeah, the window break. You just, it's very hard. Glass breaking, A, already looks unrealistic because yeah. it happens so fast, cameras cannot capture it. But, but you know, what What can you do? Mm. Uh, uh, and then the police come and they, Chitel, Ejofo gets out of the car, shoots the police, and they drive off. And, it, and it's all one shot. And it is. Uh, one of the tensest, like it is that sense of like, what the, what the fuck is this film? And as much as you can be like, Oh, I get it. They got Julianne Moore for a week so they could have a bankable star. And then you, you know, you got to kill her. Gave her second billing. Yeah. 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 Well, you got it. Um, but it is that sense of like Julianne Moore and Clive Owen's plot is not resolved at that point. They have Mm. several interactions before then being like, Oh, we're working out things, but it's left on a hanging note. It mm. is just like suddenly reality occurs, yeah. and takes her out. But the key thing, and, and and so that like disrupting the world disrupts the story. There's no moment of yeah, Clive Owen and Julianne Moore standing in the rain saying, "We have to forgive ourselves and love again." Mm. You know, um, it is. It's just kind of forgotten. Directed by Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> And that is what people should take from that scene. But no, what people have taken from that scene is just a million action chases shot in long takes from inside cars. There's a good one in a Atomic Blonde, but like the Power Rangers feature, the recent one <laughs> the, the, has the, one. The the Elizabeth Banks directed Power Rangers film? Yeah. Yeah. No, not directed. Didn't, starring. Didn't, didn't she direct it? No, you're thinking of Charlie's Angels, possibly? Oh, maybe. I thought she, she, I thought she no, was. No, some, some guy did. Okay. Maybe she was it's, a producer on it. That film, not bad, but... Yeah, uh, yeah, well, yeah I've heard it's better than you'd think. Yeah. Uh, the Last of Us, a very good video game, starts with a nearly identical sequence. Right. Uh, uh, Quiet Place 2 does, I believe. And, like, I think the most <laughs> notable thing is that The Last of Us, a very good video game I like a lot, is kind of aesthetically and tonally Children of Men, the video game. And, like, Terminator Salvation, McGee's attempt at making a Terminator film, was explicitly, ex- he explicitly referred to Children of Men. Yeah. But McGee isn't interested in 
the like thematic or political things about about yeah. children. I mean, he 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 enjoys the the like bare aesthetics of it. Yeah, and, and where like this is a film that is like the the way to show the rugged underbelly of a terrifying world is to shoot it like a documentary. Like that's less interesting when it is a heroic battle against the super robots. Yeah. You know, um, but then, yeah, so they go to this place. Clive Owen overhears that it was actually Chiwetel Ejiofor got Julianne Moore killed. It was Charlie Hunnam who was on the motorbike. Yeah. And we, we find that out because he uh, drives up to the farmhouse that they're staying at on a motor, on the on the same motorbike that he <laughs> yeah. shot Julianne Moore from. Which is, I mean, this film needs to move along at a brisk pace, yeah. you know. But also, he's, he's never been presented as a particularly smart character. No, like he, he's he's been a dum dum from the start, and, and the the conflict is is that Julianne Moore wanted to take Key and Key's un, as yet unborn mm. child to this mythical organization, the Human Project, yeah. uh, on, which which has been mentioned by 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 Michael Caine in, in one of his early scenes. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, as as the background for a joke, the yeah. the the way even in verbal exposition, this film throws away. Um, it, it, it's much needed information is like the joke about like having any luck with women. And he's like, Oh no, the last woman I dated became a repenter and goes like, they're the ones that go and live in the forest. She goes like, no, they're the ones who flagellate themselves. And that's how you understand who the people who come down from the forest are. Like yeah. it's all, Oh, it's so, it's, it's dense. It's yeah. It, and the bit where Michael Caine talks about the human project, he says like, Hey, do you hear about the human project? And Clive just goes off on this run like, oh, it's all bullshit. There's no human project. It's all a load of shit. We're all doomed. And Michael Caine's like, I'm trying to do it. I'm just up to a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to tell you a joke. Yeah. And Clive Owen's just like, oh, okay. But uh, it, I'll, it, I'll, I'll, I'll hear a joke. And then he tells this kind of hacky dad joke about someone eating a stork, which is also like, oh, so, so much of it is you're like, oh, yeah, people are used to this by mm. now. It is the state of the world. Um, but yeah, the human project, these scientists who are maybe working on a solution, but maybe mythical. Um, whereas, whereas Chewie, um, wants, wants to, uh, use the baby as a symbol yeah. to start a revolution. He, he doesn't actually want to bring hope from this. He wants to use the picture of hope. And, and that to me is kind of the conflict at this film yeah. is, is, wanting to do things versus wanting to seem to do things and actually doing things and Clive Owen moving from one of those states to another. Yeah. And, and so there's another long take as, as they, they run away and, and key makes her other big decision, which he's like, okay, we, we have to fucking go. They killed Julianne Moore and Pam Ferris, who plays this weird, wonderful, happy nurse who comes along. Yeah, who seems to be doing Reiki on people at various <laughs> points. Uh, uh, yeah, she's or like praying to Jesus. There, there's a great scene where in the background, um, she is doing like, uh, Oh, I want to say it's not Feng Shui, Tai Chi. Oh, right. Yes, but yes. she keeps getting it slightly wrong, and you can see her going, oh, damn, and <laughs> yeah. starting again. Yeah. And it is just full of the, these these beautiful and pointed character beats. Um, but she's like, no, you can't. This guy's crazy. He's just doing it for money. He's probably taking you away to sell you to someone else. And Key goes, no, 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 we're going with him. Yeah. And so she as like she believes that like since Julian Moore trusted you, I, I I trust you. Yeah. And she knows that him and Julian Moore had a child together who died, 
And so she sees this as like a person who has her best interests at, at, at heart. Yeah. He, even if on the surface, he seems incredibly mercenary. Well, and he, and like this is his point of being like, we have to get out of here is kind of his first point of doing anything not for money yeah it's the first time he does the right thing and it just creates a whole world of hell for him yeah but but he's also doing it because they're going to kill him as well yeah like it's still not a purely selfless act oh yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and so they run off they hide at jasper's mm. where where they have some rest relaxation and, and more backstory that's yeah. where we learn more about julian Moore and clive owen's child who died while they're at jasper's yeah. and we're getting all this backstory does pam ferris does she go and alert the rest of the fishes because when they show up he seems like clybone seems to blame her maybe i don't know yeah so so like some something happened and the people that they're running from find out uh yeah yeah f- f- find out where where they're staying and so they they have to flee and uh, uh the 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 fishes show up and Key, Theo, and uh, Pam Ferris all, all like, uh, climb up the side of a hill so they can see what's going on. And you see Chuatel, EG4, and Charlie Hunnam, and, and the rest of the fishers show up, and they uh, essentially just execute Michael Caine, uh, who uh, dies with a fart choke. They have been, the fishers have been following him for months. Um, one of them, oh, one right. is behind him on the train. Uh, when he is going to Jasper's house the first time around. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, the one with glasses. Who, okay. Whose name is Hugo Mateus. Mate, it's a Polish name. Yeah, it's H- Hugo Weaving. Yeah, and I uh, mean, imagine. No, mm. Hugo Weaving is too... Yeah, no, he'd stand out too much. ...in, in this film. But yeah, no, that, and that, that's a detail I just found out looking it up on Reddit. Right, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, Google led me to Reddit. I wasn't like, ooh. Mm. Um, hey, hey, Reddit, anyone got any cool children of men facts for me? But yeah, and, and Jasper just makes his piece. Oh, that scene breaks my heart. Mm. I mean, every scene in this film fucking breaks my heart. And then we get... Okay, um, but they've arranged to meet up because they need to get into Beck's Hill, yeah. uh, which has been turned into a refugee camp, yeah. which, uh, um, which, which we know because that's where Jasper, Jasper sells his weed through a, a prison guard called Sid, yeah. played by Peter Mullen. Uh, but the most important thing to know about Sid is he loves talking in the third person. He keeps doing like, Sid's pretty angry today. <laughs> Sid's been working very hard. Sid will get you in there. Um and oh, uh, yeah, so it, it, it's essentially this town that has been turned into a giant. Oh, no, just before oh, yeah, where they yeah. meet Sid, they meet Sid um, at an abandoned school. Yeah, that has been given over to wildlife because who needs schools anymore? No, yeah. no, no more kids. And, and Theo is wearing a battered and worn London 2012 jumper, <laughs> um, which of course was six years in the future mm. when this. It's just yeah, like, yeah, and it is, but it is like. It has not drawn attention to. Well, yeah, I did, didn't notice that. Yeah, and, and you get, and, and this is where Pam Ferris talks about she was working at a maternity ward as it started to happen, mm. and, and she talks about that it 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 just it just we didn't we realised we didn't have any bookings in in uh, in nine months, and then we kept looking, and we just we realised it just we called. And it is like watching the weight of it, it, it clearly being this incredible moment of, of personal pain for her, mm. um, is uh, 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 manages to give you the backstory and give you the world in a way that never doesn't feel like someone stopping and going like, 
Oh, well, I guess you're wondering how this all rolled out. Was there a yeah. solar flare? But yeah, then... Uh, well, first of all, we all got blinded by the sun, and then, oh, you better believe those Triffids came. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I do quite like the idea of an adaptation of Dave the Triffids starting with, oh, so... You're not going to believe this. So I was in a hospital and... Minding my own beeswax. Um, well, we'd do a good day of the Triffids, especially in the wake of Last of Us's success, plant horror. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've already had that uh, that TV miniseries with Eddie Izzard. It was a it was a David Triffid series, like oh. like like ten years ago, where where Eddie Izzard was uh, evil. I mean, that's what you want him for, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, I I apologize, yeah, yeah. Eddie. Man, Eddie Izzard, good, great, great work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like been been yeah. doing real good stuff for a long time now. Yeah. Why? And we don't really notice. No. Uh, also, an irritatingly <laughs> good runner. Wish I could run that well. I, yeah, that's bad. That, I hate that now. <laughs> you you hate all the marathons and stuff? Yeah, no, yeah. just be good at comedy and <laughs> acting. And speaking five languages. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's just showing off at this point. Yeah, how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the, talk about Bexhill. Yeah, so it, it's a town that has been turned into essentially a giant bombed-out slum that all of the refugees yeah. and, and legal immigrants in Britain are being forced well, into. Well, as we learn in a background headline, like all foreigners, one of the background yeah. headlines is all foreigners declared illegal. Yeah. Is Biggs Hill like a real town? In, Biggs Hill is a real right, place, yeah, yeah. 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 Is, is it, it's on the coast somewhere. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I don't know yeah. specifically. Okay. Yeah, so they're smuggled in by this guard, Sid, who does a hilarious uh, cop prank on them. Yeah. Where uh, he pulls up at the school where, where they're waiting and st- and starts, like, shouting at them through the, like, his, his, uh, his like, armoured truck megaphone. Uh, and then Clive Owen comes out and uh, calls call him, like, a fascist pig or which something. Which is what Jasper told him to say. Right. That's the code phrase, yeah. is you're a fascist pig. Yeah. And, and this guy's like, what'd you fucking say? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, and it's. Peter Mullen, yeah. I've literally seen the man in a film kick a dog to death. <laughs> like, he's he has a threatening aura. Yeah, and, and, and Clive Owen says, you're a fascist pig? Yeah. He's like, you fucking... <laughs> yeah. And he gets out of the car and he extends one of those, like, uh, one of those police murder, murder batons. Yeah. And he goes to hit Clive Owen and he's like, nah, come on. Yeah. Hey, hey. And it is... That's great. I love to see police abusing their power <laughs> for gags. Uh... But it's also it's just a great character establishing yeah. moment. But yeah, so they have oh, to, like it's it's a uh, it's very well observed, and so they just desperately that's, that's a thing that police officers do. <laughs> yeah, and so they navigate. They, this. they find the fact <laughs> that they're allowed to kill with impunity hilarious. Um, and on but on the bus and they, they go through all the stages of, of being dehumanized mm. uh, of. Uh, uh, it goes from seeming like a prison to seeming like a concentration camp yeah, to to seeming like a slaughterhouse. Um, and 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 while they're on this bus, a key is starting to have contractions. Yeah, her water breaks. Yeah, uh, and the um one of the guards notices, and, and so Pam Ferris starts to pretend that she's having a religious moment. Oh, is she pretending? Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So so she is a distraction. Right, right, right. And, and the, that, but they take her off, seemingly to kill her. Mm. They put uh, a black bag over her head, 
uh, in an image that looks a lot like Abu Ghraib, which mm-hmm. um, subtle. Uh, uh, was this movie the same year as V for Vendetta? I think that was also 2006, right? I think possibly, yes. Yeah. yeah. Which movie do you think does it better? This one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah no, I, I mean, we're not... We're not <laughs> When you mentioned V for Vendetta, my brain went, oh, yeah, that film exists. Yeah. John Hurt, though. Yeah, no, John, John, John Hurt's good. And there's a good voice performance by Hugo Weaving. Yeah. I like Stephen Fry and his scenes. Oh, no, there's a lot. Like, yeah. and like, yeah, it's just, again, it's. It's a very literal adaptation of, of the thing that it's adapting. Well, in a, in, in and like, it, it doesn't necessarily elevate it. Well, and that comic is so clearly, because that comic was written over 10 years, mm. over the 10 years. Like, Alan Moore started it as a nobody and ended it after finishing Watchmen. And oh, so, so is he doing both of them at the same time? Yeah, yeah, oh, wow. yeah. Because uh, there were a couple of big breaks in, right. in, in V for Vendetta's run. And you can see him become a better writer mm. and you can see him play with formalist tropes. And so looking at V for Vendetta as a singular object, yeah, no, there's just a whole... Uh, there's a whole host of reasons. Yeah. I really need to reread both V and Watchmen. I read them when I was like 13 or 14. Yeah. And I was like, I like this in the way that I like comics. Yeah. But I think I probably missed a lot of them. But this moment of pa- Pam Ferris sacrifices herself. And it is like, again, a narrative disruption. Why else is this character in the film but to deliver the baby? And I mean, it is about making the film harder for everyone. But it is also, like, this film does not look at parenthood as an unalloyed good. No. Uh, it's not about how this is the best way to deal with things or or the best kind of a person to be. And, like, this film, to raise a theme, my theme for the episode, uh, has this such particular stance on motherhood, on what being a mother is and being the thing that gives a life that introduces life to the world. And it's like, what's up little person? I made you. And now you got about 80 to a hundred years of shit in front of you. Yeah. No, like in this film, like parenthood just as everything else is terrifying. Yeah. It's a film about how we never really figure out how to raise children. Well, and, and all we can do is the right thing mm. in the moment. And yeah. so it is, you're like, Pam Ferris being the closest thing this film has to a mother figure, mm. um, choosing to do the right thing in that moment rather than the thing she is destined to do. Yeah. And, and then, and like playing that against Julianne Moore, who is always playing the scheme and against... Uh, playing the scheme of how to solve the thing, mm. but then in the right moment sends Theo along, you know, or, or, or picks Theo and the men of the fishes being like, no, 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 this is not a thing we free. This is a thing we control. Um, and so, yeah. Oh, then Clive Owen is like, look, she's pissed herself. Look at the piss to, yeah. to scare the guard off. Yeah, which is he's like, like funny. you fucking animals. Yeah, look at um and yeah so the guy leaves and so then they they finally arrive in beck's hill they they encounter they encounter a a a, a kind of a, a roma woman i believe maybe she um uh, uh yes, yes uh uh who who yes because because later peter mullen shouts at a you stupid fucking gypsy yeah which, yeah um and, and and who is just kind of this insane like witch who who guides them through the world uh, uh, 
she she's the contact like we we'll mm. we'll show you i'll take you to the boat yeah uh but first oh go go have this baby even though uh uh, uh, the the Roma woman doesn't know that, so they go, they hide in a room, and then lit by one light, and then about one three minute unbroken take, uh, Clive Owen throws away the last of his alcohol to sterilize his hands, yep. giving and, away more of his cynicism, and Key gives birth to a CGI babe. But it's go- like, oh, like, yeah, it, it is. I only know it's CG because I've seen the breakdowns of how this baby is CG. Yeah, like, you can tell that it wasn't a real baby because it would be very difficult to do that. Yeah. But also, yeah, for a CGI baby from 2006, it looks incredible. Well, and it is, you just buy it as a scene of someone, uh, uh, of, like, the horror and fear uh, of new life emerging. Although I would like it if they just did the thing from, from American Sniper where Bradley... Where Bradley Cooper's holding his baby, and it's just clearly like a like a two, like a two dollar plastic doll. <laughs> I, I'm one of the, one of the great shots in cinema history. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Oh, Clint, maybe do more than two takes. Yeah. Is that that's Clint Eastwood join? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it seems like it, even if it's not literally. Yeah. Um, but then what? Um, but then, but, you know, if, every once in a while, you know, he makes he makes a sully. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, but then Peter Mullen busts, and Peter Mullen and the the Roma woman find out that there's a baby. Yeah, and and Peter Mullen's like, actually, I was that much of a fascist all along. And, <laughs> and, and but while like it is that this point, these two new parental figures, uh, like the father and the mother, the the this Roma woman who is just wants to help. Yeah. And uh, he just wants to control the situation. He's yes. like, uh, Sid knew there were things I could do. I knew there was money I could get out of this. Yeah, he, he, he's seen on the news they're both, they're both wanted criminals uh, yeah. and that there's a big reward for them. And then when he sees that there's a baby as well, yeah. he's like, yeah, I've hit the fucking, I've hit the fucking <laughs> jackpot. And, and then it turns into this incredibly tense, at least for me, chase, which feels incredibly violent and sudden even though there's two acts of violence in it Mm. It, they 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 try and knock him out they try and get away the door is not quite open so it's just about them trying to slide through a gap in a door there's this like very tense moment where key has to hand her baby to this woman through the door she passes the baby to the roman woman and then the woman moves away and this is like, like, oh, she fucking ran with it. Yeah. It's like, it's all yeah. open now. <laughs> well, and it is, and like the, this film, this film's nerviness and its twitchiness and its constant sense of upsetting things mm. is that you're like, oh yeah, that could just happen. Yeah. You know, when guns start getting fired later, you're like, I would buy that in this film, one of the bullets hits the baby. Yeah. You know, like everything fit like. Yeah. Maybe we're just going to walking dead this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe this. It's about how there is just absolutely how hope is a joke. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, but she but takes. It, but you know, it turns out it's a movie about how hope floats. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Great. <laughs> <clears throat> Susperia. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, takes them into the this nice locked door. It seems like going into a dank den of iniquity, but it's some lovely Russian old people uh, who care after them more like just this image for a moment of, of family and care, people looking after each other. Yeah, and, and as they're walking along, people are, people are noticing the baby yeah. and 
You just see like all of these beaten down people. You see their expressions just, you see their faces just change and lift. I, and yeah, it's magical, yeah. right? Um, and then there is, uh, uh, but then out the window, the military are coming in yes. and the fishes are here and it is now, and then suddenly it is time. They have to go. They have to get to the boat to meet the human project. Uh, and, and then uh, <laughs> the Hiroshima music starts playing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of my all time favorite pieces of music. Yeah. It's a piece by Polish avant-garde classical composer, Christoph Penderecki. It is a piece called Frenity to the Victims of Hiroshima. And uh, if you've ever wanted a piece of music, that uh, simulates what it would sound like uh, to uh, be in a nuclear blast. Like, yeah. this is uh, it, essentially. It's literally the music David Lynch chose to represent yes. a nuclear test. Yeah, in, in, in episode eight of... It's eight, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah in, in, in episode eight of Twin Peaks for a Turn. You know, the weirdest bit of Twin Peaks. Yeah. It's it, it, it's a song I first encountered on uh, on, on a on a two CD uh, compilation uh, that, that I found at JB Hi-Fi called No. Now that's what I call tension. Well, it, it was called Zappa's Classical Selection, yeah. and it was a bunch of classical and avant classical uh, music that was influential on on Frank Zappa. Mm-hmm. And so it was like it was Ride of the Valkyries, as this bunch of stuff by Stockhausen and Harry Parch. It's a very, very good introduction to avant-garde classical. And, and, and that signals the beginning of uh, uh, an, an operatic and incredible long take of Theo and Key and the older woman moving through a war zone. And then Key is kidnapped by the fishers. Yeah. And so then the camera follows Theo as he navigates uh, a, a horrific war zone. Yeah, and, so he's, he's moving around gunfights and, and tanks and trucks. And it is. A t- and, and soldiers and insurgents. And it is, you get this, the, this, the sense of horrific scale, but mm. like the intimacy and pain of violence. Every corner he ducks into, there's a different person reacting yeah. in a different and way, like the, panicking, the, this, terrifying. Yeah, and the, 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 the sequence takes place over like maybe 400 meters. Yeah. But, but it feels so massive. Yeah. It feels so expansive. Yeah. And. and- it is like kind of the peak of where like a thing that really interests me about both of these films that th- these are um, people who are not from the worlds they are looking at. Yeah. Uh, Quaron is a Mexican man, um, obviously, but you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not a surprise. Um, and, and here you kind of see his thesis for this film is like, no, what? Cause looking around South America, you realize, oh, Britain, this future Britain has become, it's not a dystopia. It is a South American totalitarian yeah, no, state. Yeah, it's a failed state. Yeah, it's 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 a Bolivia. Mm. You know, no, I mean, Bolivia is a bad example. Anyway, they're, they're all bad examples. It's not a one-to-one comparison. Yeah. And you realize that the, the reason the aesthetic of this film works, the way it all feeds together, is that he is not supposing anything. Mm. He is looking at the world and just going like, well, this will inevitably happen to white people. Yeah. And like, oh, you know, it's only bad when it happens to white people is is is, is a terrible and horrific uh, simplification. But to to take American money uh, to, to make a, a, you know, what you can sell as an action film that is like no okay the real horror is the everyday horror this mm. this scene could be a scene of you know a uh, a siege during a coup anywhere yeah. uh, uh, in in the past 
20 years and and the thing that changes the thing that they that theo has and he goes up and charlie hunnam finally gets killed as he runs through a bus someone gets shot and blood spatters on Mm. the lens um and and then he goes up and sees triatelio joe four rescues key and the baby and triatelio joe four is like i had a i had a sister it's gonna be a girl and he has to he tries to explain himself and you realize that like he sees the same pain and violence. He is mm. as angry as we are, as Theo is. He just sees a different solution. Yeah. Um, and, and he has, he, he has this like emotional realization while he is firing a machine gun and, and grenade launcher out a window. Yeah. He's great. And, uh, he try, uh, uh, but then when they try and run away, he still tries to shoot them. Mm. He, he, uh, and he gets Theo. Yeah. Uh, uh, of which more later and then the scene ends and it is i think this horrific war correspondent sequence i think really floors me every time mm. i see it and not because of the achievement of it not because like there is a sense of the acrobatics of it is that it is a film kind of doing backflips and making it look easy yeah and all the things like they can't have the blood spatter stay on the lens the whole time and so they pick just the right there's many bits of just immaculate craft in it but is in how absolutely not it is a climax about how it is like oh yeah a film like this has to end with a gun battle so what we are going to focus on is the man desperately hiding and running and fleeing and while the action is all this horrific disruption killing people and lives and the only thing that is different is that in this case he actually has a source of hope and the soldiers are coming and Key shows that she has a baby, and they they just stop and they stare like yeah, mystified. Yeah, and the soldiers start shouting for a ceasefire. Yeah, and even though these are low level grunts, and their job is to just go into this building yeah. and kill everyone, this experience of seeing a child is so powerful for them that yeah. No, I, I don't give a shit about what I was ordered to do anymore. This is more important. Well, and it is in that moment has so much less weight if you don't have five minutes of absolute torture before it. Mm. And, and the fact that that five minute sequence has, I, I think just become incredibly referenced in how we shoot action. I yeah. think a lot, a lot of the increase in single take handheldish action scenes are in the wake uh, uh, of this scene. And obviously yes. this was not the first to do things like this there. Obviously, you know, John Woo was doing shit like this and hard boiled, mm. But in in this kind of this this gritty this beige mode, um, this urban warfare. What what if Yemen? But here, yeah. Um, and that is all there to build to yeah the 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 soldiers saying ceasefire. Yeah, and, and, the, and, then, and then everyone stops shooting as they slowly walk out of the building. Yeah. There are the refugees on one side, there are the soldiers on the other. Yeah. And Key and Theo walking through it. They walk out onto the street past the tanks and yeah. the guns. Yeah. And the soldiers and the trucks. And then once they're like 30 meters away from a building, they're forgotten about and, and the shooting starts yeah. again. Yeah, it doesn't we can only see hope when it's right in front of us. And as much as like the promise of new life and with that hope can be so great, it can become so invisible so quickly. But like the thing we have lost in so many people going like, let's do a a one hour fight scene like in children of men is you're like, no, no, no. The point of that is that you then follow it with like 
no, there is a solution to this inhumanity, to this relentless pain. Yeah. And that is looking at, at a new future <laughs> and, and, and everyone pausing for a bit and doing the first part without the second uh, is is horrific and idiotic. Yeah. Uh, and yet people do it all the time. Loads of really good films do it. Like I love the long single taken atomic blonde, mm. but that is clearly them doing. Let's just do a children of men, you know? Mm. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and then they, they get to the boat. They get in the boat, they go out and she, she panics. I'm bleeding. And he says, no, you're not bleeding. I'm bleeding. And, but the baby is crying and she doesn't know how to soothe the baby. And so he shows her cause he knows. And cause like, and so the one thing he can give her it's knowledge on how to stop the baby crying so she can learn. And she says, I'll, I'll name him, I'll name my baby Dylan. It's a girl's name too. And we don't know if he hears because he dies. But having finally done something good. And then the camera zooms out. I'm like, do I misremember the end of this film? Does this film end ambiguously as to whether the boat comes? But then the human project continues with a boat called Tomorrow. Yeah. And, and Key and Dylan. Um, oh, and in the distance we see Bex Hill being bombed. Yes. But maybe, you know, that boat's just full of maniacs. <laughs> yeah, the ship of the damned. <laughs> I mean, that's children of men, two, two children, two men. Yeah, no, it's, it's parts of a Caribbean, the curse of a black pearl. Yeah. Every, every, everyone's a skeleton face. But yeah, we, and yeah, I just find that ending incredibly uh, touching. Mm. The idea that, that like, uh, the, the the tender potential of new life is still something we need to learn to care for, um, especially in a world where hypothetically some kind of virus has made the world go mad, and made countries turn inward. Yeah, but that's that's that's, that's all. A virus is never going to happen. You <laughs> like we can only hope. <laughs> um, <laughs> there and it just seems I'm always like and it just seems so insane that that this film exists mm. on this scale because it is so resolutely unthrilling and so resolutely like ambiguous and painful and like it seems to bite every hand that wants to feed it yeah and it is about like how like the lead character's journey is like he's a shit who doesn't care he realizes he should care but the thing that that gets him is death um yeah, that sort of character has has existed in action movies before oh yeah but against this bet like yeah. it, it, this film feels so bleak oh, and yes, like yes. the spark of hope at the end is so dim yeah it's an ending where you kind of have to see it metaphorically because otherwise one new baby being born after 20 years is not that great no we're all still fucked in that case yeah it's an ending that I don't think you're supposed to, like, oh, great, she's got a baby, everything's fine now. It's about the symbols of hope being important yeah. rather than, rather than like, the the things that are actually represented by those symbols. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, this is, like, yeah, one of the, of the many things I love about this film, of which uh, very few I've really touched on, um... But is the fact that it, it manages to be both incredibly specific and feel like uh, uh, someone creating a fiction, reading a book and going like, this is an interesting fictional world. Let me tell a variant of the story of this book story and, and get into like kind of like almost the like role playing game. Like, what are the rules of this mm. world? How do you travel through it? What are the levels? You know, what is society like? What, you know? 
Um, but it is also would Michelangelo's David have a robot leg now? <laughs> yeah. But also, yeah, like yeah. like shit like shit like that. Um, but is also as as a metaphor, it works incredibly well. Yeah, it, I, I just think it is an incredibly complete film, and it just yeah, I they got seventy six million dollars to make this film, and that just fe- that seems crazy to me. Yeah, like, do you do you do you know how much of it's made? No, no, no. Um, not not one second. Yeah, because it, it, it oh, it, it didn't make its money back. It made seventy. Oh, okay. It cost seventy six and made seventy in right. America. Yeah. So yeah. So it, it it was not like a massive bomb, but it was a it, it, yeah. It, it, it was a commercial failure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. like of like of course, like yeah, yeah. Kind of of course, like I don't under like I'm so happy. Like the mm. it just feels like this fit like. It feels the existence of this film, of a film so bizarre as this, mm. is is as much a, especially growing out of like the mid two thousands film scene. Yeah, feels as much a, a miracle as 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 Key getting pregnant. Yeah, like but, but then like but then like this director's best friend made a movie about a woman who fucks a fish. And that made hundreds of millions of dollars in one best picture. Yeah, yeah. No, but like, but that was, at that point, Del Toro was a brand. Yeah. And, and also, that movie about a woman who fucks a fish was surprisingly tame. <laughs> <laughs> was, oh, no. It was, it was this, I mean, like, I, I love that film. Yeah. But, no, yeah. But like, and that's part of the appeal yes. for me yeah. uh, uh, of Shape of Water of how it is cheesecake. But just about, I love it's Guillermo del Toro's Abe Sapien fan fiction. Yeah, like the like if you don't ever want to watch The Shape of Water, watch the behind the scenes feature on the Hellboy DVD, where um you see Guillermo del Toro being shown the makeup maquette of Abe Sapien, the fish character from yeah. that for the first time, and you see tears well in his eyes, and he touches it, going like. He's just so beautiful, <laughs> and it's like that's what a shape of water is. Yeah. It's so ah, oh, I love you, Guillermo. Yeah. But also, like this is what, and part of that is like Alfonso Cuarón made uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, like the way he made Children of Men, but with magic in a lot of ways, a lot of good single takes in that. Yeah, in that, and uh, like, that is also the first of the Harry Potter movies where it feels like a movie. Yeah. There's the first time where interesting things happen with the camera and where the camera is used to tell the story. Well, and it doesn't feel like just the most illustrated audiobook ever, yeah. in a way. And, um, and and also, it's like 40 minutes shorter than Chamber of Secrets, but it feels so much more complete and so much longer. It feels like it tells a full story. Well, and it just it feels real. It feels like you're there. And, and, and like, Kyron is not all long singles yeah i mean probably working with child actors but like little princess doesn't have many great mm. expectations doesn't uh, doesn't have many here he's someone who yeah he, who, he, he he's he's not a guy with, with with just like one trick no well his he, his trick is just having a particular kind of story he likes mm. to tell and just telling it kind of better than anyone else yeah. and that story being about how just we have to care for the people around us and that always has to be the first priority in our minds when we make any decision like that that is kind of that's why he bends even prisoner of azkaban into being by focusing so much on their friendship on the various friendships within it um and 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 like great expectations is in some ways him uh, it it doesn't matter Um, you know that um and, and you know the complexities within that, blah blah blah. Um, 
but he and yeah but he made that and this is his next film and so him taking being like i made a good harry potter film now let me make a uh pseudo war documentary about how capitalism is going to destroy the west the same way the west has destroyed everywhere else <laughs> is and i'm gonna cast clive owen not really a star. I'll get Julianne Moore. I'll kill her. Yeah. Um. My second lead will be a, a twenty-year-old person of color who you've never heard of, who will play at po- a play a character who speaks an insane future slang. Uh, and by the way, it's about the uh, you know it's like it's going to be about what if there were no people being born, but I'm going to play it like it's a Darden Brothers film. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, yep, and it happened and it was this good and it was like this good that now, like, not everything looks like it, but having seen it, do you agree with my supposition that it is like actually a really cornerstone text of the following like 15 years of film? Yeah. 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 Like, and like people have done shit a bit like it, but like this is, oh yeah, it's a miracle. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I think of all the films I can think of that try and do the stuff that this does, I think this does it the best. When people have gotten really into like the long take action Mm. scene aesthetic and it's developed into its own thing, like the beginning of the villainess, the first of the long hallway fights in Daredevil, old boy, obviously, even though old boy was before this, like as 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 an aside thing, yes. Um, But yeah, because the reason that they mostly work best in this is because this is the only way the story could be told. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is that I think out of shite and sound, I think it's sound. Uh, uh, yes, I, I would also agree that it is sound. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, Yuva. Yeah. You like this film a lot. I love this film. This is one of your favorite movies. I, when I finished seeing it uh, alone in the Rialto in 2006 in Wellington, I immediately texted all of my friends that they had to see it <laughs> because social media didn't exist yeah. at that time i like, invented social media to do it <laughs> so uh so I'll, I'll... i do you've you warned me ahead of time because yeah for this episode finn's doing the uh, gonna give me negative letterboxd reviews of but oh no you do the setup yeah. sorry i just want to say you've warned we we discussed this and i'm still feeling i'm already feeling like pre-anger yeah Anyway. So usually on the show, after we've talked about a movie, we read a Letterboxd review. Usually for the sound film, we, we'll read a uh, half-star review. And for the shite film, we'll read a five-star review. Uh, for this episode, because uh, because it's because uh, uh, we're doing two of you for favorite films, uh, I'm going to be reading two half-star reviews. <laughs> I'm just so... Oh, okay. so this is a half-star review of Children of Men from yeah. Letterboxd user MyPostScope. <laughs> Myposcope. Yep, Myposcope. Okay. okay, I'll call you Mype. A Hollywood film of post-flower power neoconservative values hiding behind fake grittiness. One of the first mainstream action movies to use the spectacle of terrorism to disorient and dazzle the unsuspecting audience and a tech demo for the fake long takes that would become essential in making sure every Avenger gets their action figure pose in their group fight scenes. It's heavily indebted to the 70s British educational films like Time of Terror and similarly-minded docudramas like Skin Flicker, to the point of mimicking and visually appropriating those films' grisly recreations of, do- of domestic terror attacks, blown off limbs and all. While Time of Terror and Skin-, and Skin Flicker were earnestly made attempts at reflecting and engaging with the spirit of their time, Children of Men is a big-budget action movie that was released on Christmas. What is Children of Men without its long takes? Even more dreary and lifeless, I would imagine. 
hardly the kind of thing that a major studio would be interested in if they didn't have an eye on developing the technology. I can only imagine that enough crafty Hollywood types saw Irreversible, looked past the content of the film itself, and were absolutely blown away by Gaspar Noe's technical accomplishment. It probably took some time to find the right project, but they seem to have landed on Children of Men pretty quickly. But why invoke such films in the name of entertainment? I guess it just makes good business sense to rip off stuff you'd think the people watching your movie are not particularly likely to have seen. It also borrows quite heavily from Bergman's shame, but who really gives a shit about Ingmar anymore? Okay, I don't actually disagree with a lot of that. <laughs> the, like, the thing I want to flag is, I do, like, uh, uh, Irreversible, Irreversible, the uh, Gaspinoe's uh, uh, schlock rape revenge film is, yeah. is, is designed to look all in a single take, and I'm sure is, like, a technical influence mm. on the film. But, like... The answer to what is Children of Men without the long single takes is you go like, it's worse than Children of Men is, but it is still a film. Still a bit of an irreversible. Yeah, about about abject hope. And like the problem with it, I understand that one of the Breivik films is a good single take, but like yes, actual yes. long single take films... Holes. Yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm quibbling with it. Like, is that possibly part of the reason it was made? We just got a film much weirder and stranger than you'd ever actually than you'd than that review gives it credit for. Yeah, but what do you think about the idea that this is a a film of post flower power neoconservative values hiding behind fake grittiness? I can I can understand someone who I I, I said to you while we were watching it I'm I'm surprised we're 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 at the fifteenth anniversary fifteen year anniversary of this film and we haven't yet really seen a big Children of Men is 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 liberal or right wing actually take because the main antagonists are a part of the protest group. Yeah, and 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 part of the reason that I was looking on Conservapedia in the first place is because I was hoping against hope that they might have put it on their list of the greatest conservative movies. But I I think it Sad, is sadly it was not to be. They weren't quite dumb enough to do that. I I but I trust. This film's view of itself and everything around it is complex enough. And like its representation of the horrors, if this film dwells on anything, it is the absolute suffering uh, of, of, of residents of England being put in cages and tortured like animals yeah. simply for not being born there or being refugees. Like it is, I think it is very hard to look at this film and think it is in any way siding against the people who want that to stop. And that it then chooses to complexify that by saying that it's about an ideological conflict within that group, within the fishes is about making the film crunchier mm. and is about, it makes the central question about how do you do the right thing? Not what the right thing is to do. Yeah. Um, and it and it is like in that moment of like, it, as much as Chewie is the villain of this film, his final moments the the film is sympathetic to him, yeah. and he is allowed a moment of of grace and reflection. Well, yeah, yeah, he is an obstacle and an antagonist more than someone who is yeah ideologically evil. Yeah, and like if the way to get films made is to sell them to a Hollywood company and say Universal given us seventy six million dollars and at the end we'll give you technology to hide cuts in films. I don't think that's prima facie a bad thing. And like, yeah, that review doesn't read like half star. 
Um, have they got a top four? Uh, they certainly do. Okay. So, uh, the, uh, irreversible. Uh, no, uh, no, 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 number one on the top four is uh, is a film that is on the sight and sound top one hundred. Oh, have we watched it yet? We have not. Uh, is it a? Is it in English? Uh, no. Uh, okay. Um, Fellini. Yes. Eight and a half. No. Oh, La Strada. No. No. Ah. Uh, uh, um. Not Roma. No. Um. Ah. The the one that paparazzi cut. Ca- um, yes. Uh, uh, La La Dolce Vita. La Dolce yes, Vita. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, what a film. Yeah. Uh, that Fellini. Can I tell you one <laughs> to get to go back to Power Rangers? Yeah. Uh, uh, one of my favorite jobs there was suggesting monster names, oh, and yeah. we had a film director monster. And my my first name pitch was Felmini, <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't take it. Anyway, uh, if uh, yeah. so, uh, the second film on his top four, it's a Harry Dean Stanton joint. Uh, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Uh, no, is it the oh, um decade? Uh, it, it's from the eighties. Paris, uh, Texas. Uh, no, it's famous for its punk rock soundtrack. Director uh, Alex Cox. Oh, I don't know it. Repo Man. Repo yeah. Man. Yeah. 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 And I just I yeah I forgot he was in that film. Yeah, he's he's like first built. Like to the yeah no I just I have li- not seen that film in literal in 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 maybe two decades. Um, no less than that, but still yeah I just had no yeah. Uh, next we have an Abel Ferrara film. This is one of his nineties films. You're not really a Ferrara guy, are you? I just have not. I I'm not not. Mm. I've just not really engaged. Right. Yeah. But I feel like. I can't look up Abel Ferrara because it ruins the game. But I feel I feel like I've seen a film. I've just never really thought about it. So can I? Have I heard of this film? Uh, yes, I, I, <laughs> I think so. The main ones you would have heard of would be would be like Bad Lieutenant. Yeah, yeah, of course. And the Driller Killer. Oh yes, of course. No, so yeah, what is this? I will. Uh, I, this is King of New York. Oh yeah, fuck. I yeah, could, so it's it's but, with Walt, Walken, David Caruso, Lawrence Fishburne, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wesley Snipes. Fuck, I should know that. Giancarlo Esposito, Steve Buscemi. Yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah, I I do need to see that film. Yeah, I I've been trying to do more Ferrara this year. Yeah, I, I've not gone around to this one yet, but I've 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 heard good things. Mm. And uh, then the the last film is a Dario Argento film. Is this a no. Oh no, no, I don't know enough Argento. This is a Deep Red. Or Profondo Rosso. It's Asperia, nineteen seventy-seven. Do you have takes? Uh, it's it's been like two years since I saw it. I I watched it as part of a university course I was doing on horror cinema. Oh, yeah. I I liked it okay. I do not get the hype for it at all. I think that movie looks incredible. It's got uh, one of the like great horror soundtracks. Uh, the set design's great. Other than that, I do not care. Yeah, it is an incredible triumph of aesthetic. Mm. It was one of the last films processed with three-strip color technique. It was okay. not shot on three-strip film because that didn't really mm. exist anymore. Like Italy's last three-strip developing process machine was disassembled when they finished with Desperia 1977. Oh. It is the, yeah, this, this, like, like, obvious. It's it's it is self evidently uh, and pataphorically giallo. But what that actually means is that it is like looking at what a memory of a cartoon is like, or like so many scenes are just like one color, yeah, or two colors, and all all every highlight in someone's hair is some 
neon tinge, but the story itself, as much as Argento, there are so many different tales of where the idea came from. There, there's this this sequence of poems um, from which Argento claims to have drawn inspiration. But when you look at them, you're like, you just like, like Suspiria, <laughs> and Suspirium is a name. And then as he developed that into his Three Mothers trilogy, Suspiria, uh, Inferno in 1980, and The Mother of Tears in 2007. So, which are about, um, you know, as you would expect, uh, M- Mother Suspirium, <laughs> uh, even though she is never named as such within the original Suspiria, yeah. um, Madame, Lac- Madame Tenenbaum, the Mother of Darkness, and Madame Lacrimosa, the Mother of Tears in the 2007 film uh, Mother of Tears. But that really strikes one as after Suspiria did well, he was like, oh yeah, it's always, it was, it was, it's a trilogy. It was always meant to be. There's a, mm. There was always more to tell. Um, whereas like in isolation, Suspiria is a, is a slasher film about a naive waif who goes to um, dance school. Does no dancing. A li- like a little, mm. like, ve- like very little. It's a ballet school. <laughs> it's in Germany. But when it is set chronologically is kind of ambiguous mm. and it um and it's a ballet school. And then people kind of just die in sequence. Yeah, and there's there's weird magic stuff going on and she's trying to figure it out kind of. Yeah. And, and except she doesn't really and it ends with her having to kill the form of her best friend who has been resurrected. And like when it comes to horror, it is a, it, it's a master of grotesquerie, right? Like it is, uh, it's a film about watching terrible things happen to people. Yeah, like is, is, isn't there a scene where someone like falls into a room full of barbed wire? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's that for a movie, but is entirely striking images. I don't remember many of the images that well. I remember there's that like one shot of of a like balcony inside the inside of a building where the woman's like running along, banging on the door. Yeah, that is like very strongly in my mind. And I remember did someone get killed by by like birds or birds or a dog. There's a bit in like a, a, a big courtyard. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. I remember someone being killed by a dog. That's sort sort of about it. And there's like the image from it. The, there are two images from it that always stick to me from the same from the same killing, <laughs> which is Pat Hingle, who is the girl who runs away from the school at the very beginning, and she goes, she meets up with her friend and is like, ah, something terrible's going on, and the friend is like, what? And she's like, I don't want to tell you <laughs> anyway. And um, and then there's something terrifying. Uh, it seems outside her window, and and she and she looks deep into the window, uh, and eyes appear, and then mm. a hand starts smashing her head against the window, and there are yeah. these shots through the window of her face being pushed so hard <laughs> against the glass, um, and then at the end of that, after she's you know been stabbed up and then hung through a skylight. <laughs> the falling shards of glass of the skylight kill her friend. Right, right, yes. And there's yes. one that is just like, just in her face. <laughs> and it is so gnarly. Yeah. Yeah, it's a film of descent. Uh, it's a film, do you remember the maggots falling? 
the maggots fall from the ceiling. Not, not, not really. The other thing I remember is is the like opening scene of Pat running through like the woods yeah. with that music playing, yeah. and it's lit incredibly, and you hear that song for the first time. And when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, is this movie going to be my favorite movie?" <laughs> well, and it is. It is. Yeah, but and it's such an incredible work as mm. aesthetic. Watching it, you cannot help but be like, "This looks so good and so crazy." Yeah. And it's and like Goblin fucking rock the shit out of <laughs> yeah. that score, and, and, and a score that is so schematic. Like within the first five minutes, they've set up every motif, yeah. and then they just iterate in increasingly unnerving and aggressive ways. And like that is not far from a bad thing. Mm. And, and like maybe part of the the design of Giallo or or B horror, and like. It so distinctly is like you can never get quite over quite how jarring every voice being ADR'd is. Um, and, and like you can see when Udo Kia turns up as a psychiatrist to be like, oh yeah, she said there were witches. And, and like the story is, is that like Udo Kia is in the film because he had an afternoon free and there was literally someone lying beneath him telling him his lines yeah. so he and, could and because it's a horror film made in europe so udo kia had to be in it oh, by law yeah, no it's yeah. but it's young udo yeah, kia yeah. which is such a startling thing to see he's like alec baldwin and that he looks less like a young version of himself than a digitally de-aged <laughs> version of himself when he's old older there's like a real squeakiness yeah. to him but like you can see him if you know if you know what you're looking for, you can see him listening for his lines, and and maybe it is it is built into that that the plot is kind of nothing, mm. and that the ideas are kind of nothing, and it is not and it is not to say that there is nothing in the film thematically. Um, Argento originally wanted the film to be about a child dance academy, so the script was written for it to be about like. 12 and 13 year olds um which explains why there is no sexual content mm. in it uh, uh, for a b film which like thank you <laughs> oh man like if this film was heavily sexual and it was written for kids you'd be like oh no we can't Jail? Kill- yeah no let's kill him <laughs> um um and, and like that explains again watching that last time i watched it which was last night or the night before i cannot remember i've lost all sense of time um uh, was the first time I've watched it knowing that. Mm. And when you watch it knowing it was written for like kids, you're like, oh, like everything makes sense. Mm. The reason every character is kind of a naive waif or or kind of defined by one thing, like the character of Olga, who's the angry bully and is like, ah, oh, Susie and Sarah, eh? You know what they say? Both people whose names start with S are snakes. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, she's a 13-year-old, <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and there is something very interesting that comes in changing that. It was changed for the obvious reason, which is if you made this film about 12 and 13-year-old kids, <laughs> it would be un- just, un- un- I'm going to be like unwatchable, but like untenable. Like yeah. every day on set, people would be like, no. Are we, we- going too far? <laughs> yeah, we can't. We can- we can't do this. Look, I, I, I know this is, I know this is an Italian horror film in the seventies, <laughs> yeah. but even, but like even so, uh, 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 um, uh, Daria Nicolodi, 
who is the the other writer of the screenplay, says he dreamt some of this film. Mm. Dario Argento has also said that it's based somewhat in truth that he has a great aunt or someone who left a dance academy because they were witches. Right. But it, when I think about Suspiria and I think about horror movies from the late 70s, which were like partially inspired by dreams, which were like either starring or meant to star children yeah. about some young girls in a crazy place where stuff starts happening. Yeah. The, the, star Wars. Yes. <laughs> the other movie I think of is Haosu by mm. Nobuhiko Obayashi. And like that movie was literally inspired by the nightmares of Obayashi's daughter, and about the like fears that she had about going to her grandparents' place. And it, it is this singular work of crazy aesthetics and insane dream logic. But like the thing about Halsu is that, it, as well as being one of the craziest looking movies of all time, that is constantly doing stuff to make you uncomfortable or throw you off or show you something that you've never seen in a movie before, it also uses all those elements to tell a really really good story and it has a lot of interesting thematic content that it uses those elements to enhance and express yeah my problem with Suspiria is that all the aesthetic elements are so fantastic i just don't think they are used in a way that enhances any story or or thematic elements well and it and i i think the key reason the thing that encapsulates it all is that the reason marcos uh uh the the head uh of the the dance school, Mother Suspirium, mm. as we find out in Inferno, um, is doing is killing people kind of just to kill them. Mm. Um, and like, yeah, it's because because they're witches. Yeah, because they do weird stuff. Yeah, because they're witches and 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 they're evil. Yeah. Um, and so it is. It's like, uh, why and what and like while it is a triumph of incredible aesthetics and like part of that. And part of its success, I think, is Jessica Harper and the leader, Susie Banyan, who combines um, being a good actress, like she knows how to build tension mm. on just her face yeah. with the fact that she she is one of those people who's attractive the way that people in paintings are attractive. <laughs> like her, the, 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 the proportions of her face and like the planes of her face are so precise and, and so kind of crystalline that it, it 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 it's almost abstract she looks like a painting um and, and almost entirely unreal and i think that's a big part of it and she just she really knows how to creep slowly towards things <laughs> yeah um and Suspiria was always threatened a remake uh it went through several kind of uh phases um, uh, but it was generally, yeah, it was, it was, it was always kind of going to happen. Um, there was a version announced in 2008 when Luca Guadagino of Call Me By Your Name fame, um, uh, of, sorry, um, but it was going to be directed by David Gordon Green. The, the Eastbound and Down guy? I mean, in Halloween, most recently. Well, but sure, sure. But he, he was going to do it back in like back in like the mid two thousands. Well, he was going to do it in in the thing that it was announced on the wake because because David Gordon Green came up and and was the tail end of like the ninety indie director guy. Mm. He directed George Washington, all the real girls, Snow Angels, um, which are kind of 
crunchy indie dramas and I, right. i've seen george washington and snow angels and like they're interesting but he has the it's the sad fact that however unique and pointed his thinking is and like it is when you look at things like joe and uh, um his his 2013 mm. Nicolas cage film you're like no no this guy has a perspective but like he's doing it at a time where it is kind of like it's an aesthetic like mm. he is riffing within an entirely closed system um but it was coming out this was announced while he was having his biggest box office success which was of course with pineapple express right, yeah and yeah then he did your highness and um he he's done a lot of things and then it, and it, yeah, directed Eastbound and Down, bits of Red Oaks, which is great. I really mm. like Red Oaks. Um, and of course, Halloween, which I think is... Well, well, it's one, one, one of the better Halloween movies. Yeah. And like, it also gets the thing, David Gordon Green's Halloween and Danny McBride, the, the co-write, who he co-wrote it with, um, uh, is Halloween. The thing it gets is both like the bits of Halloween that are unique to that film and the bits of Halloween that you should develop. Mm. So they don't repeat any of the scares, but they repeat the logic of the scares. The yeah. thing that makes Halloween's sense of tension unique uh, isn't jump scares, it's knowing. It's not who's in the house. It is, you're in the house with Michael Myers, he's fucking, turn around, he's fucking behind you. Yeah. Come on. And so these... And so these incredible sequences of like this, this force of darkness and you're following him and it is just like, oh no, I know the terrible thing. And, and I would have been interested to see his take on Suspiria yeah. uh, uh, working with, with Guadagino, but that didn't happen because they didn't get money. But Guadagino always had it going in the background. David Kajanich, who is the writer mm. of 2018 Suspiria. Uh, I wrote the screenplay just after they finished making a bigger splash together mm. with uh, Rafe Fiennes, Dakota Johnson, and, and Tilda Swintwich. Mm. And, and like Tilda, who he had been working with, he worked with in I Am Love yeah. before that. I Am Love, which I only saw for the first time this year, and uh, I, I have only seen it once, but it was one of those films that is now like a burning point in my mind where I'm like, I feel like I might lose a month to watching that film 10 times and deciding it's my favorite ever film. Right. Like, uh, it, it is, oh yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's incredible. And they were and like, the idea was after a bigger splash was like, and next we're going to remake Suspiria with those three coming back with, with, with Rafe, Dakota and Tilda, mm. uh, returning. Uh, but that didn't happen. Um, instead, Luca Guadagino finished his desire trilogy, which is, uh, I am love. Call me by your name and a bigger splash. Yeah. He made, yeah. Call me by your name, which was un petit hit. <laughs> like, uh, uh, and if you've not seen it, it's good. It's yeah. just it's one of those films about relationships where you're like, oh yeah, that that's what it feels like. Yeah, it's one of those films where you go, oh, I want Michael Stuhlbarg to be my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see Michael Stuhlbarg happy in a film. You know. Yeah. Like a film where he is not either villainous or put upon. Yeah, like by he's, it. he's he's having a pretty good time in Shirley, but that's because he's a monster. Yeah, no, no, yeah. he is. Oh man, that like is there more villainous a line delivery in film? Then he's like, I read your story, I love it. I have some thoughts, of <laughs> yeah. course. 
And you're like, oh, that's right. We do need to kill all the <laughs> men. Speaking of killing all men, Ray Fiends did not return uh, for 2018's Suspiria. And that is because there are almost no men in the cast. Yes. And the one man in the cast with a significant role is Lutz Ebersdorf. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who is a fake actor <laughs> uh, played by Tilda Swinton in uh, crazy makeup. <laughs> but like good crazy oh, yeah, makeup. No, the, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, this is like a weird German guy in old age yeah. makeup. Not it's, it's Tilda Swinton in old age makeup. Well, and even when, because I remember it is in his final scene when Dakota is talking to him in bed. I can remember seeing the film for the first time in the Academy on Halloween uh, um, and going like, oh no, that is someone in makeup. Yeah. But who is it? Who is yeah. it in makeup? And it was like that last scene of uh, Steven Soderbergh's The Laundromat where that... <laughs> with that South American woman who you've been seeing the whole movie takes off her wig and uh, her fat suit and her makeup to realize it was Meryl Streep the whole time and you're like really? What? why? 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 if you like that why? 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 no but what? No, but like why? <laughs> Stephen, Stephen, why? <laughs> why? if you like uh, nonsensical <laughs> but whimsical casting of Meryl Streep as other races <laughs> wait until you see the first scene of uh, uh, um, Angels in America when did I see Cloud Atlas 2 <laughs> it's all Meryl this time yeah, what happens well, I mean Cloud Atlas 2 is the bone clocks um, but uh, Guadagino never wanted to remake Suspiria I believe he looked at Suspiria and sees the same thing we see which is that it is a beautiful film that doesn't do anything with its idea. Yeah, and most of the people who hate this film just wanted him to remake Suspiria. Yeah. They want to see the same colours and the same shots, but just with Dakota Johnson in it. And if Guadagino wanted to do that, he could have done that incredibly well. Well, but he also, like, if you want Luca Guadagino to make sumptuous to make a sumptuous film that that is all about the externalization of of inner feeling like look at almost any other film he's made so it ends up and i do not think he made this as a deliberate choice but his Suspiria is in almost every way the exact polar opposite of Dario Argento's Suspiria. Yeah. Um, to the point of like every, like it is not a dance school. It is a dance company. They're not ballet dancers. They are modern dancers. Yeah. This movie, I think feels a lot like if someone did a remake of the big Lebowski, where it was just all about the bowling competition or where it was about the dude genuinely grappling with the ideas of nihilism. <laughs> yeah. Or some, you know, yeah, or yeah. And, and like there was a whole massive subplot in which Jeff Bridges in heavy makeup as John Goodman's <laughs> character deals with his Vietnam War flashbacks. Right, yeah, yeah. Like it is, it, it is, and, and I think the first, I think the only mistake this film makes is being called Suspiria. Hmm. Um, I, I think this film should be called Suspirium because then it would be the same as the theme song. Uh, and that's my argument. No, is, is that the, the title and it's like seeing, I did not love this film the first time I saw it. Yeah. No, I, same. I went into it like, what, do, what does Guadagino, what does Guadagino doing Suspiria 1977 mm. look like? Yeah. And you're like, I want to see his take on those visuals. I want to see his take on those kinds of killings on st- 
stabbing. And, you know, what does Guadagino shooting someone falling into a pit of barbed wire <laughs> or having their throat torn out by a dog look like? Yeah. Whereas, like, this is one film is is bright and this film is not not colorless but it is winter yeah is it, 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 it is about. yeah in the original suspiria the school and the houses in that movie are inspired by expressionist set design whereas this everything is is like brutalist argento by making a film about an american going to germany while the cold war is happening mm. Uh, uh, and finding out there are witches in a dance company is such a metaphorically resonant and like thick idea, and that is what Guadagino is adapting. This is not, um, you know, uh, 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 Kenneth Branagh's full text Hamlet. This is the Lion King. Uh, mm. But like, you know, but do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Seeing Guadagino's Suspiria for the first time and how not Suspiria 20, mm. 1977 it is makes it inherently feel, I think, on first engagement, a little disappointing. Yeah. Um, because you are expecting one thing and then you are so, so thoroughly getting another thing. I was already kind of disposed to liking it because Tom York did the score, his first score for a film, and like, you know how it's, it's got multiple it's got multiple Tilda Swintons in it. Oh man, and and, and Dakota Johnson yeah. and like, like fucking and Mia Goth like yeah oh, yeah uh, it, it, like this uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's it's good and um and Jessica Harper is in it yeah. uh, uh, as well and Chloe Grace Moretz like yeah anyway um it, it, it has basically no men in it <laughs> like i remember about an hour and was like there's just there's not been a man yeah except for the old guy and i was like i just remember being like oh, i like that it's good and, and um and so i was kind of disposed to like it but it did feel disappointing and especially because uh it is a it is a horror film but the way it performs horror is the opposite of how Argento does. Argento is about the knife in the face. Yeah. The the hand pushing the face against glass where all maggots falling, things happening like, to bodies. They like screams of madness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and they're incredible screams uh, that don't seem to quite line up with <laughs> their mouths. Um, whereas in this, it, its horror is the horror of bodies. Uh, of grotesque physiognomy. When they first, uh, the first preview of this film they showed at some horror convention uh, was the sequence that's called Olga's Destruction. In 1977's Suspiria, Susie Banyan comes to this the school and they're like, okay, while you're here, we need to talk about money. Where are you going to live? You're going to have to pay for these things. These are tangible, important things to you. We have control over you. And of course, in, in 2018, Suspiria, they arrive and go like, do not worry about money. We have found you a place. Mm. It is important that you are self-actualized. She goes to her first lesson or first rehearsal. And in 1977, they're like, do you want to dance? And she's like, no. Uh, I, and then they have to encourage her and then she dances weakly and then faints. Right. Which yeah. again is one of those things that makes sense if she's 13, <laughs> you know? Um, whereas in this, she goes to her first rehearsal. They tell her to stand out to st just to watch. You mm. can join whenever you can. But she says, no, I can play. I can dance the lead of this 
and um, I can dance the lead of this. And they're like, but you don't know it. And she goes like, no, no, I have already learned it. Yeah, I, I watched the VHS of this experimental dance piece lots of times at the library. And they're like, that doesn't count. Because like, and I saw it in person too. I have seen the bodies. And and, and so Tilda Swinton doing just the best impression of a middle-aged arts woman ever just yeah. a swooping hawk who's all <laughs> angles and and cigarette smoke and it just like oh it's just it is my, that was my when like when i was talking about it with other people after i saw it for the first time almost all i talk about is like you do not understand how accurate tilda swinton's impression of a middle-aged woman running a dance or theater academy <laughs> she is just this like stick figure of disapproval and she uh she, she holds dakota johnson's hands susie banyan's hands and feet and puts a little magic in them <laughs> um and, and so now when when susie dances uh in the dance studio underneath her is olga who just flipped out and was like pat hingle she's gone and you don't fucking care until the swinton's reply was of course like Look, she decided to go off and join Bader Meinhof. That's a noble thing. Yeah, that, that's that's if everyone has to make their own choices, and and we and we we should respect hers. We should respect that. And if she is blown up in a bomb, that's fine. That's her choice. And then yeah, and then Olga is like fuck you and runs away. Until <laughs> yeah. uh, the Swinton turns around, looks at the rest, and goes, "It's a hot thing we do," <laughs> um, which is like. Fuck. I don't know. It just sit. It just really sits with me. Yeah. And, and 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 in revenge for that, Tilda uses Dakota as a weapon to destroy Olga. And what happens? So, uh, in the like downstairs part of this academy, the, the, uh, a room surrounded by mirrors. Yeah, yeah. To echo and subvert the rooms surrounded by curtains. Yeah, there's this room where all the walls are, are mirrors. This is the room where Susie does her audition when she first comes. Uh, when she first comes to to the to the Tans Academy, while Olga is trying to leave the school, uh, she she gets some like crying magic cast on her and uh, kind of can't see where she's going anymore. And she walks into this uh, into this mirror room. Then it cuts between Dakota Johnson upstairs dancing the lead in this is this Volk this Volk yeah, yeah. yeah dancing the lead in Volk which is the piece of performance art dance that the school is mo- that this group is most famous for yeah it's been doing for like twenty years yeah. and was yeah. was was done this is all background information yeah. it's like it is their response to uh, World War Two because yeah. they're in post war they're in Cold War Germany the yeah. the Marcos dance company's building you step out the door and you're facing the berlin wall yeah so it cuts between upstairs where dakota johnson is dancing the lead in volk and downstairs where olga is essentially being turned into a rag doll there's a bit of what i like to describe as non-consensual contortionism (laughs) where every time that dakota johnson makes a movement olga's body also does that movement involuntarily or it it is like that movement is 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 like yeah pushing her yeah whatever and over the course of three or four minutes you just see olga being slammed around this room and her body essentially being folded in half and it is so disgusting and it's gnarly shit yeah uh she pisses herself she does um and and when it got to the scene in the movie this time i was like 
oh yeah, I forgot that this scene was so like early into the movie. And then you paused it and he's like, nothing, we're 40 minutes in. Yeah. I was like, oh, this, this thing fucking flies by. For, for, yeah. for, 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 for a two and a half hour movie, which a lot of people complain is like l- too long and boring. Yeah. I, I, I just fundamentally disagree. It, well, there's just so much. Yeah. In it, like we 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 when it got to the scene where a woman was being folded in half through magic dance, I was like, yo, yeah, this, this is this is what like twenty minutes into the movie, but no, it's it's like a quarter of a way through. Yeah, and all this the the apart from this being fucking gnarly sweet as shit, uh, the kind a kind of horror set piece that I at least have not uh, seen one mm. like it, uh, though I assume with the, with the, the glut of invisible man films that, that, you know, um, but it is, uh, instead of a woman being pushed, a hand breaking a window and pushing her up against it and then stabbing her and hanging her. This is a woman we start her face forced against a mirror, but then it starts to distort, not from the mirror, but from within an mm. invisible force, uh, uh, within her it's like she's destroying her own body uh, the yeah, woman oh, who plays the, the, the stuff that happens to her face in this scene is so so unpleasant it's, it's upsetting yeah yeah there's a bit where where her lower jaw is just like pushed like fully out of place yeah and then for the rest of the scene she's um uh, alina fakina uh i'm definitely pronouncing that surname wrong uh, uh who plays olga uh is a is a dancer yeah and uh it just does it's it's, it's just an incredible piece of physical mm. performance. Um, but it is, it, 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 and the world saw that and was like, this film's going to be fucking gnarly. Yeah. And like it is, but also each horror beat is a distinctly different riff on those ideas. Yeah. So it's not like, it's not like the next time they do Volk, suddenly there's a whole room of people underground uh in, in in the in the in the studio below being distorted like that it is it, it is smaller and itchier it gets it becomes but it is it establishes this film's focus not on horror of 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 external violence but of internal violence this is to me a film and the the first line of Susperium, uh tom york's theme song which is uh, very good and if you don't like it you're wrong is this is a waltz thinking about our bodies this is a film about what it is like to have a body and to be in a body something that can betray you and destroy you something that can hurt you and something that you can hurt other people with it is about like the sensation that we are meat uh, and that yeah, which is one of my favorite things for a movie to be about yeah and and so like when you get to later horror beats there's like when 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 sarah played by uh, Mia Goth, uh, who the the only actress so goth <laughs> that her name is literally Mia Goth. Uh, no, Mia Goth, uh, most famous for being probably the best thing in the cure for wellness. Mm-hmm. If you if you've seen that film, I mean, don't she she covered eels in that? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's and like that film is it's not. Yeah, it, that film is a perfect B. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if if you want to see Cure for Wellness, watch it. But it's not, you know. Yeah, she she she's also in High Life, which she's she's good in. She she's <laughs> she's an Emma, which she's which she's great in. Yeah, she's incredible in. Yeah. Everyone is incredible yeah. in Emma, though. The more I think about Emma, I'm like, I I 
think I did Emma a disservice uh, at the Shite and Sound Shite and Showdown for the Crown uh, by not by not listing more people. Yeah. Um. Uh, especially because, as we can see, that like Anya Taylor Joy's future is just like uh, being uh, in action films and 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 stuff like that. Yeah. So you, yeah. we've got the witch. Yeah, you know, but yeah, no, it 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 just it just sucks that that's what happens to every good like young filmmaker and young actor or actress these days. Yeah. Is you you do some you do some incredible work early on, showing that you have like showing that you have like immense range and can do anything. Yeah, and then they're like, okay, uh, we'll put you in a Marvel movie. We'll put you in a movie where. Uh, I don't know. You like uh, uh, we'll put you in like a uh, like a fifteen million dollar uh, like uh, uh, thriller movie, uh, and then uh, put you in another Marvel movie, yeah. and then I don't know. You're you're like twenty seven now. You who, who cares? And then you have to hope that your biggest hit was huge enough that you can pull something interesting towards work. Because like obviously we have an incredible example of that with Dakota Johnson. Mm. Who, who, like, I mean, she, she, she'll always get work because of nepotism, because of who her parents are. But, like, <laughs> as much as she almost, de- no, she is on record as hating making the Fifty Shades film. Yeah. And, like, it seems like quite right, too. Um, at least those were big enough that she can do Suspiria or, yeah. you know, a and, bigger and, flash. Yeah. And, and, and she can use that, she, she, she can use that clout to, like, to to try and help Elaine May get get her next film made. And like, oh fuck, I love that idea. Yeah, that is one of the films that I am most excited for. Is Dakota Johnson doing a film with Elaine May? But yeah, but she still has to do like the Peanut Butter Falcon. Oh no, that's like a small indie film. It's yeah. just uh, I don't like it. Um, and, and like Bad Times at the El Royale. I yeah. wonder. I I want to ask her if she considers Bad Times at the El Royale one for them or one for her. <laughs> you know. Uh, All we know is it wasn't one for you. It's just, it, like it's just Quentin Tarantino fan fiction. Yeah, like it is. It's a pretty competent Tarantino knockoff with some good performances and some good scenes, and then some stuff that I think really doesn't work at all. Well, and, and it just doesn't. It, it's the curse of bad times at the Royale Likes a lot of the same things that I like, yeah. but like that just means that I can see through it. You know, like so much of my problem with Guns Akimbo. Which was that I like all the same action films it does. Yeah. So whenever it got to an action beat, I'd be like, oh, you wanted to do the car chase from the Bourne Ultimatum. Yeah, great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You like the gunfight in Equilibrium that's lit only by muzzle flashes. Oh, yeah. and you've just done it. Yeah, cool. You know, like yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Susie teams up with Sarah to, to investigate what's going on. We very quickly as an audience learn that that uh, uh the marcos academy bunch of witches uh who could have seen it coming i mean uh no one because it's 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 suspiria it's it's the premise <laughs> yeah. even though it's the twist in the original suspiria um and what and that they are preparing for some coming ritual and that pat uh, uh, who is who is Claude Grace Moretz and, and and Olga were in the past considered as options to be the center yeah. uh, of this ritual, and this is taking place while there is a power struggle within the academy. 
Madame Blanc, who is uh, played by Tilda Swinton, mm-hmm. is having a power struggle with uh, Mother Helena Marcos, who's played by Tilda Swinton. In uh, the grossest makeup. <laughs> like... I'd I'd forgotten what what Helena Marcos looked like until it, until it got to the scene where she's revealed again. I was like, oh yeah, this is the grossest shit. Yeah, no, uh, like it's uh, just like folds and boils and and for a couple shots where you can see she just has like she just has like a baby's arm, like a, like a floppy baby's arm growing out of her arm. And it's so good. Yeah, Marcos is in both films is is unseen, mm. is absent, and, and returns. Mm. Um, and is is treated as both a figure of great praise and great horror. Yeah, and like in 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 Suspiria nineteen seventy seven, it is revealed that you know she's just a she's a big old monster lady killing people. Mm. What a what a grossy. Um, whereas in in this, it is revealed that she is a uh just a distorted aging woman who has tri- lived for thousands of years. Uh, and the ceremony is to take a new body. Yeah, uh, is to steal new life, and that is uh, how the coven operates. And then she shares her power with the other members. But there is a power struggle between Madame Blanc uh, and Helena Marcus. They they vote to see who leads, and uh, Blanc loses, yeah. even though. But by 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 just a couple of votes. Yeah. Um. Just a just a couple of oh, votes. Yeah. It, it, it's like three votes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And so there is unease uh, within within this coven. One of the members of uh, the coven is is so aggrieved by what they are going to do. She kills herself. Yeah. Uh, and that's another fucking gnarly bit. She just gets a knife and yeah, stabs it in her. Is, is this ever restaurant or is this? It, it's, it's in their quarters. It's at the dinner table. Right. Yeah. yeah. There are like multiple scenes where, where all of the witches are eating at like a big long table. And sometimes it's at like a restaurant and sometimes it's in their quarters at the academy. So uh, yeah, she 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 stands up and pulls out a knife and just starts stabbing herself in the neck over and over again, and blood sprays everywhere. Yeah, it's and it's hard. It's some hard shit. Yeah. So one of the key differences between the two Suspirias is how the directors approach violence. Yeah, and they both want to shock you. They both want to horrify you. Yeah, but, they but, both want. They don't just want to do something gross. They want to do something that like fucks with you. Yeah. But with Argento, he revels in, in the like luridness of it. He yeah. like and like that's that's Argento's thing. Yeah, it's which, not a which, bad. Yeah, thing. no, yeah. That, that, that's his style, and that's that's you know he's done well off of that. Yeah. With Guadagino, what he wants to do with the violence is, as you said earlier, he wants to like remind you that the human body is made of meat. Well, and I think like that becomes even more explicit when like meat hooks later are the like main weapon of of the of the witches. Well, these rattling, eerie. Mm presence right and like they exist in such clear juxtaposition to like if there is a recurring weapon in in argento suspiria it's just a knife just a stabbing knife which is just this phallus of the straight man objectifying women and then destroying them even though the person who's doing it is a woman um whereas in this it is women with the these arcs that that use them to pick up transport and distort flesh yeah again it's a, the opposite i kind of think <laughs> yeah it all builds to this point where this when you see them perform vault 
publicly as i said you don't it's not that downstairs there are now 20 people all being olga's destructioned Mm. it is that sarah is desperately searching for her friends searching for pat through the the like the under burrows of the academy yeah so she 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 goes into the mirror room just as volk is about to start you're like all right she's gonna get volked yeah i mean but she (laughs) she she finds she finds the like secret door the the witch is used to dispose of bodies and she she goes down she yeah she goes down into the like catacombs underneath the underneath the academy and finds the room where they where they like keep all of the people whose bodies they have possessed and destroyed um uh, in, in in including pat uh, yep. patricia hingle who is uh now just all properly rotted up we yep. don't know how they got her we just know they did that happened off screen yeah so, but then, so we haven't really talked about her yet because we kind of like cut straight we'll, to we'll get to because she's so tangled up in mm. klemperer mm. oh, who, yeah, who yeah. is who is it is just because this film is two and a half hours long and six chapters in an epilogue in divided berlin yeah uh, yeah <laughs> i just you say that and i'm like it's how can how can you think that's bad oh but like that, that, that's one of the things that like they're like so many of the negative reviews are like fuck you like not you <laughs> yeah i, I do what but like i think like people who hate this movie their main problem is like pretentious this movie's pretentious it should just be about stabbing like horror horror movies should be about stabbing women while while cool music plays and nothing else like this film is pretentious. I'm going to go watch my regular normal films, the B movie <laughs> Italian horror. <laughs> oh, it just like okay, this film is a little pretentious yeah. though. But, but but also that's kind of what I like about it. But also like definitionally having pretensions, wanting to be about mm. something is a good thing. Yeah, is 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 an old is a old Daniel Kitson bit about that exact idea. Uh, I mean that like the real curse is yeah everything we could ever say. I uh, uh, I was working on. Yeah, I I was I was so annoyed when I when I first discovered Daniel Kitson because like oh there's, there's there's already like the best comedian in the world has a stutter and doesn't drink. I've, like what what have I got left? You're taller than him. Oh, you're tall and thin. He's short and fat. Okay, I've got that. Yeah. But that's not funny, though. It's fun- uh, glasses, it's funny. beard. Oh, mate! Yeah, I think what you should do if, if, if I hunch down and, and gain a couple of pounds, I'm I'm just I'm just going to be okay. Uh, gonna, here is my pitch. nothing unique, and this will be a long walk. But I will also be explaining the plot of the film Suspiria 2018. <laughs> so, like Finn, obviously, what you you love so much about Kitson, right? And like the obvious idea is that you should move to Britain, mm. right? Yes. And, and, and become like another kind of, you know, comedian, but like lower, lowercase C comedy. It's more stories, you know? Yeah. You don't end on a big laugh line. You end on a statement like, and you know, my mate says it's all dancing, isn't it? <laughs> and it, and it breaks your heart and, and changes your mind. And you, you join with a bunch of other people already do that and do that well but then there's this unseen figure right mm. kitson uh the fa- father kitson <laughs> uh, uh, father comedian uh father yeah uh, storytellerist um and, and you realize 
that this whole setup is about finding a new body for Father Kitsonium to take mm. so he can he can grow on and on through life uh, uh, and continue doing his acts of storytelling magic. And you're like, maybe that's not a bad idea. And so with uh, your, your, your best friend who is, oh, who's younger, who's yet, who is the Sarah in this of British comedians? Um, like, uh, like Josie Long. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Jos- right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and your teacher, Stuart Lee, <laughs> Or, and, and, and you start working with Stuart Lee being like, I'm ready. I'm ready for, mm. for Father uh, <laughs> Comedius to take over my body. Uh, and you start having psychic conversations and having weird flipped out dreams about. Um, with, with, with lots of like glowing lights and stuff. Yeah. And, and incredible like long explosion flicker things on the wall. Yeah. And, and, that, and that song giving me the light at the back of the room because my, my set's up. <laughs> <laughs> So there's this great gig and all the comedians you've been working with are there gigging naked <laughs> and you're like, oh, look at all these. Yeah, this is where it sort of falls apart. <laughs> no. Uh, and that's all part of a ceremony and you finally meet Father Comedium uh, and uh, he's a rankle, <laughs> ragged old man. <laughs> Uh, and is like, this is not about comedy. This is about living forever, living for you. And Stuart Lee is being like, you have to want to do this. Uh, I've thought about this a lot, but you need to be making the right decision. And yeah. you're like, and then and then Father Kitsonian uh, uh, just like chop, chops Stuart Lee's head in half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because because arguing, and then uh, uh, and then and then I reveal. Well, no, there oh. is an important thing because okay. there is an assumption that this film asks you to make. Mm. That is that that kind of the baked in premise uh, of 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 Suspiria twenty nineteen seventy seven. I always feel really concerned saying even that because Suspiria nineteen seventy seven and Suspiria twenty eighteen are both set in nineteen seventy seven. Anyway, um, uh, uh, that Suspiria twenty eighteen. No, the the assumption twenty. Suspiria 2018 allows you to make is that Marcos, who who is in in some ways the least changed role, who is this unseen horrific being, obviously she is Mother Suspiria. Yeah. Um, and that is never stated in the film. You just assume it. Yeah. Watching it. Uh, but so when so Dakota Johnson says, uh, "Under whose mother are you?" Uh, that is us learning that she is not that Marcos is not Mother Suspirium. They are just they just operate underneath another. They 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 are pledged in the name of a greater power, one of the three mothers, Mother Suspirium. Yeah, and, and then and then so then you say, <laughs> Father Comedium. <laughs> You are not Daniel Kitson. I am. And then uh, you just explode everyone's heads <laughs> yeah. and then go up to your friends who've died along the way, Josie Long and um, uh, who's another comedian who is clearly really um, indebted to Daniel Kitson. And like you can see the structure in a lot of their work. And like it's interesting that as they've grown in popularity – They've begun to reference more and more Kitson, especially like structurally to the point of like pulling the explicit Kitson move of like starting a show 
with uh, a long description of how the show was going to go, including the audience's emotional responses, <laughs> but in a way that since it's unattributed and seemingly like widely undiscussed seems faintly anomalous and does explain why maybe their first widely available show uh, was seen as a highlight, whereas their second one. So I'm saying is, is that Hannah Gatsby <laughs> and, and Josie Law, two incredible comedians who yeah. I love a lot and both owe a massive debt to Daniel Kitson. And I think it's so cool that one of them acknowledges that. Anyway, so that, <laughs> so film allows you to assume that Marcos is Mother Suspirian, mm. but it is not her. Well, the idea of these mysterious free mothers comes up a bunch of times in a film and yeah. is a reference to the like broader world of, of the Argento movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and are all direct references to the poem sequence called uh, Suspiria de Profundis by Thomas de Quincey. Right. And so part of the power struggle between Madame Blanc and Helena Marcos is that most of the people at the Academy believe that Marcos is, is Mother Suspirium, but the like one person who does not think that is, is, is Madame Blanc. Yeah. And there's a scene where she is talking with the woman who later stabs herself in the neck. This woman keeps referring to Marcos as Mother. Mm-hmm. And Tilsman's like, no, there is no proof that she is Mother Suspirium. You need to stop calling her that. And there's this whole thing running throughout the film of people being able to like grab power by tying themselves to people who were previously in power. And, and I, I just want to take this point mm-hmm. to say that, and that's why with those themes running visibly throughout it, mm-hmm. that I feel that the the strain of criticism that this film's story and setting in... Uh, uh, in a divided Berlin, you step outside of the Dance Academy and see the Berlin Wall was disconnected from its themes and plot. Uh, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like, the. <laughs> yeah, like, the, 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 this, this is like as much a film about post war Europe as like The Third Man is. And well, and it is, it is a film that is as much uh, about uh, the, the dank soullessness of control Mm. uh, and the obsession with gaining power and life from the young as children of men Mm. is Uh, and that they these are both two they're two to use the the only term broad enough to encapsulate them both but Ludo Guadagino, uh, uh, who is who's an Italian man, uh, (laughs) and Alfonso Caron uh, um, is a Mexican um, uh, (laughs) Is, isn't it fact that global politics, when I go to say Mexican, is just like the amount of shit people who've said Mexican kind of mean that Mexican feels a bit like a slur mm. now, you know, which is uh, white people's fault. <laughs> but as these two brown men, and I'm just saying that because there's not, yeah, 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 you know, I, I, that, <laughs> it is important that people understand that I am being precisely imprecise by using that term. Um, looking at white people totalitarianism and white people totalitarianism largely in terms of being and having two very different but equally fervently furious responses children of men being like you will only care about like civil war shit i will put images of from civil war and in lebanon and yemen in a film and you'll care because it's about white people and uh, uh, in Children of Men and then Suspiria 2018 being Guadagino going like, all you care about is taking. You don't ha- like, 
all you care about and like the best things you can have are guilt and pain, you know, uh, 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 and that you have, you take moments to focus on individual moments of tragedy in your life, your mother dying, losing your partner in Klemperer's case, uh, and use that to harm others or or to 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 shut down to the world when there is massive injustice in the world the first line of dialogue uh, in Suspiria 2018 is free barter free meinhof the the uh, barter and meinhof group of uh state agitators being socialists trying to make the world a more fair place yeah. and it becoming uh, uh, do I agree with everything they did? No. Do I agree with their ultimate goals? Yes. The ultimate goal of blowing up Bobby Grace Moritz. <laughs> I mean, but she joined them. <laughs> but th- they are trying to do big change. And all Madame Blanc can do is be like, yeah, that's your choice. Mm. This, is a, this is a hot thing we do too. Let's stay here trapped in our bodies. And what other choices do we have? Um. But yeah, you look- and the academy is this very like old-fashioned hierarchical structure, which is completely at odds with with the socialist and, and countercultural movements that, that are happening in, in in Europe at the same time. And the way that these witches are looking to to hold on to control by destroying and discarding others is this relic of feel like old Europe that we have never effectively dealt with, and is not dealt with in the movie either. The movie ends with with essentially this old order continuing, but just with a new face. And that's horrifying. Yeah. And that she has been Mother Suspirium throughout, to the point where it seems almost a spoiler that the first time you see her face is that she's standing next to a sign that says Suspiria on it. <laughs> and you're like, is that a spoiler? Can you do this, guys? Um, but also, so when they are dancing vault, underneath Sarah is searching for Pat, and then her foot falls through a hole in the ground, and she trips forward, and her leg breaks, the bone breaking through the skin, mm-hmm. and it is the most painful thing <laughs> I've seen on film. And it is there's no image of violence in a movie that has ever gone to me quite as much as the first time I saw Green Room. Anton Yelchin puts his arm through the door, uh, and then he just starts screaming, uh, and he he pulls his arm back through, and there's like a half second shot of it, and you just see his wrist is hanging off by by like a tendon yeah and that's also bad yeah that shot in Suspiria of bone going through the leg is is excruciating I guess what I'm saying is that uh, Green Room's also fucked up <laughs> yeah and it's <laughs> about a lot of the same oh yeah themes yes uh, in a very different way uh, yeah, they, they are both movies about how the human body is made of meat and we've never yeah. really fully dealt with the after effects of fascism yeah and then Sarah is hypnotized and goes out on stage and continues the dance. So the magic and the evil is like, pretend you are not in your body. Pretend mm. this is for a greater thing, a bigger thing. And that's where uh, the pain comes. And then in, in, in the final ceremony, um, Olga, Patricia and Sarah are, are disemboweled to begin <laughs> and and Susie gives offers them something and is like what do you want and well that's like the beginning and end of the ceremony let's talk yeah. about a whole ceremony because that scene is uh, yeah yeah so I think <laughs> I mean well the key thing to understand about the ceremony is that the ceremony is the film attempting to do Suspiria 19 
77 yeah. in macro. This is where all, like, this is the place where there are shots that are references and mm-hmm. aesthetics that are references. Yeah. This is a scene that is, I'd say, best described as a gutter dummerung. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is 10 minutes of intense grotesquery ending with 30 people's heads just erupting in blood. <laughs> And, uh, and like b- b- bodies exploding and it, everyone is naked yeah, um, yeah it, it, everyone is naked and dancing some of them are naked dancing and disemboweled <laughs> and there, there is like there is like a platform made of humans with where there is like one of the few men in the movie a guy with long hair who is also naked he's like standing on the back of another person who's like his back is arched yeah. and his hands uh, on the like upstretched hands of another person, and and he is just like singing in this like in this deep like guttural voice. Yeah, throughout, throughout the scene, and it's it's an amazing image. That that yeah, it's an amazing image. And what I love about that guy is I have no fucking idea what that guy is doing <laughs> no. there. I don't know what he is symbolically. No, we've, we've, we've we've never seen him before. We never see him again. I like I keep thinking that maybe he is one of the cops, but he isn't. No, he's he, not. it's not the same actor. Um and but I kept, but what I love about it is that I know that I could find out. I could do the research. I could find the right text. I could find mm. what it is, a reference to or a riff of, or where it sits kind of ideologically yeah. uh, 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 or in the idea space of the film. But also, like, I kind of like not... not it's yeah. just this weird thing. And, yeah, so there, 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 there is this confrontation, which you've mentioned before in the, in the Stuart Lee Daniel Kitson bit, where Susie it seems like she is offering herself to Helena Marcos to let Marcos inhabit her body now. And then when Madame Blanc tries to talk her out of it, Marcos just sort of like splays her fingers in, in, in Tilda Swinton's direction and an invisible knife just like slices fully through the back of her neck and her head just sort of flops forward and yep. this intense arterial spray like, shoots out everywhere. And it is it is the first time that someone is seen to do violence to the someone in the same room. Like yeah. this is Olga's destruction is, is about conjuring an external force to create an internal force. Mm. This is, and then uh, very quickly, Susie kills her mum mm. uh, psychically, uh, her, her mother who, right, yeah, who, who's yeah. dying. And then everything turns red and no other color it is like this film is going like yeah someone killing someone else uh someone using psychic powers to kill their mormon mother while their sister who's probably uh, not mormon she's amish oh yeah 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 Uh, my apologies to i guess who's insulted by that comparison i mean i mean they would both be insulted by the comparison (laughs) because they both think the other ones are idolaters but uh then yeah so susie yeah psychically kills her mother uh, who's been like on her deathbed the whole movie? Yeah, that is the the opening credits uh, over kind of semi abstract footage of of her second um and of uh, uh what's her name Susie's sister watching over her Susie's yeah. twin sister um which just means that 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 Dakota is also playing two roles in this film. Oh, I, 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 I did not realize that was a that was a twin. 
Oh, like it yeah. is like th- that is deep lore that right, you only yeah. get in interviews. It is not. I did not learn that from right, watching yeah. the film. I just, I just think it, it is interesting that yeah, she, the woman whose face you pointedly never see, but the those sequences are shot so abstractly that you don't realize you're you're not not seeing her face. Yeah. you know. And then uh, uh, after Susie's mother dies, uh, the the ground opens up. And then what is essentially the Grim Reaper comes out of yeah. the ground. De- uh, Death, who is played by the same actress that played her mom. Yeah. So uh, another actor who, who plays two roles, um, who yeah. is also uh, very much... In 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 a uh, in just fucked up insane makeup look mm. that is clearly riffing on and responding to the original Marcos in Suspiria, nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, when the ground opens up and death comes out of it, it goes back to Helena Marcos, who has also uh, been wearing uh, these uh, very cool black sunglasses the whole time. Yeah, um, she she is just like, like a Nazi war criminal. Yeah, she she, anyway. she she is. She is just like totally naked and made of and like made of rotting flesh. Yeah, no. but she's also wearing sunglasses. She is like Marcos is maybe my favorite grotesque representation of what like a literally thousand year old body would yeah. look like. It's oh, it's great news. Yeah, so it, it goes back to her and she looks at Susie and is like, "Who who who are you?" Yeah, and and Susie's like, "You're you're you're not Mother Suspirium." I am Mother Suspirium. Yeah, I mean she. I mean she kills Helena Marcos by making her body explode, uh, and then she kills everyone who voted for her. Yes. Uh, and yeah, and and this is shown with her and Death walking around the room. You see all all the people dancing, but then when someone dies, it cuts to like a shot of them like standing just like up against a wall, and it has them repeat their vote from earlier. Yeah, and so they'll say Marcos, and then. Uh, and, Their head explodes. Well, and it is done. The shutter speed is very low, mm. so everything is smearing. Yeah. Uh, the frame rate is very low, so everything is very stoppy, and it just becomes this swirling, a mass of color and destruction. Yeah, and I think the lights are flashing as well. The red lights are flashing. It gives this very off-putting strobe effect to the whole scene. And and Klimpera is there. Yeah. He is. He is. Uh, they've they they have kidnapped him. Uh, by which means we'll discuss like in two minutes. Yeah. Um. Uh, uh. But yeah, he he's naked, prone, being forced to be a witness because there always has to be a witness. And like the shots of him are the are the first, well, at least for me, for the first time, we're like. That's a Brad Pitt, Benjamin Button CGI <laughs> yeah. man. And like this film cost $20 million that they got him looking this good mm. uh, uh, for for $20 million is, is, is remarkable, but it's still, you're like, nah, mm. um, but he's just there. Just, just, just weeping. And then it is, then it is the next morning and all of the dancers uh, wake up as if nothing has happened. Yeah. Where, which shows that, that like as much as um, Susie Banyan or, or Mother Susperium uh, has no pity for those who turn against her, she does believe that others can continue to have lives. There are two scenes where all of the like teachers and staff members at the academy, they all go out to dinner together. And this is part of their like, witch coven stuff. And <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, also just socializing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't think like a bunch of women hanging out together. That's witch coven shit. But so the second time they they go out to dinner, it's just after they performed Volk, 
And uh, this time, it's not just the staff; it's the students as well. Yeah. And in the first scene, there's a shot where you see all of the all the staff inside, and then Susie and 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 Mia Goff and stuff. They they walk past and look through, looking through the windows at them. But but this time, they they are all inside at the, at the table with them, and the the staff are like are like getting them drunk and singing songs with them. And, and, and drugging them so yeah. they can, can use them in the yeah, ceremony. And, yeah, and so that, that, that's why that's like part of the reason why when they wake up the next morning, they're like, "Oh, the crazy night we had last night." <laughs> or, or it's one of one of the staff members who's still alive saying, "We're still." I think, is it one of one of them saying, "Oh, we're, we're still cleaning up from last night." Yes. I mean, it cuts downstairs to the, the basement where everything is still covered in blood, <laughs> yep. and there are people just trying to scrub the, the like viscera off the walls, <laughs> or just like or just like sweeping pools of blood and guts into a drain and, and so and, and uh, at the end of the ceremony a uh, 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 thing uh, uh, we forgot to mention is that uh, then and then uh, uh, Susie Mother Susperium approaches Sarah, right, Olga yeah. and, and Pat and is like uh, what do you want? And they they all say to die and so she kills them mercifully mm. and they fall um and, and oh, oh here's a fun production note is you know that these are the 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 three highest profile of the the dancer actors because mm-hmm. they're wearing underwear <laughs> um which like is absolutely their right no one should be asked to do anything uncomfortable to do <laughs> anyway it's just it's a thing i noticed on that on this watch and i was like oh undies oh no sweet ass good on them <laughs> You just don't. Okay, so the nudity with everyone else is just an aesthetic choice, I guess. Maybe it's part of the uh, the the magic. Um, and so we should talk about Klemperer. Yeah, Joseph Klemperer is not a whole cloth invention for this film. There is a character who is Pat Hingle's psychiatrist and mm. the original Susperia. Yeah, uh, who, who appears in one scene and is like, yeah, she was saying. Crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah, so he's one who Susie goes to meet at their like convention. Yes. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where in this, he is almost the dual protagonist mm. with with Susie. He uh, the first scene is um, Patricia escaping the school and then late night uh, 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 turning up covered wet to his to his uh, 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 psychiatrists don't have studios, do they? They have offices. Office. Yeah. And Klemperer's story is defined by his relationship with his his former partner Anka, uh, who they were making plans to uh, when you know things were getting a bit bad during World War Two or in the lead up to mm. World War Two, and, and they made plans to leave uh, because, because, because she, she she was she was Jewish. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, they fell awry, and he has since then been racked with guilt, yep. uh, searching for her, thinking that it was somehow his fault. There, the the two men with light. There are three men in this film who speak. One of them sings, uh, who we've already discussed. The other two are um, uh, 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 police officers. Uh, um, are police officers who uh, are dressed uh, like. Udo Kia and the psychiatrist right. and there are a couple like and there are like there's there's the Tanner uh, uh who is like the the head of like discipline and dance mm. uh in, in Susperia uh in 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 not in Susperia well yes in Susperia <laughs> but that's not what I'm trying to fucking Yutha come on um 
who's played by An- Angela Winkler mm-hmm. uh, 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 who, uh, at the at the dance academy is also like her costume is a direct lift from the character in uh, uh, in Suspiria right. uh, 1977. Um, so there are like when it refers, it refers like it's just it's barely there. Um, but yeah, these two police. He goes to the police, being like, "Ah, so I had a student from I had a dancer from this dance sco- dance academy come and be like, uh, okay, so there are three. They're all witches. They're evil. They take my urine. They uh." They're doing something really fucked up. They want to get inside me. And I don't like, I don't buy it, but also. I think there might be something weird going on. Well, she, she's disappeared yeah. and, and, and could you investigate? And so they go to investigate um, and uh, hi- immediately hypnotized and ritually humiliated by um, the, the, uh, uh, um, by some of the, by Tanner and, um, Miss Griffin and mm. one of the other yeah. witches, um, and, 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 and then he goes to see them, and they're like, "Oh no, we looked. Everything's fine." And then at the end of that scene, um, Blimpera says, "I, you don't remember me, but you, when I was looking for my wife, or not wife, like partner, girlfriend, it doesn't, yeah. that doesn't matter. Uh, 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 you helped me. You helped rule out that she was in this area. And and the police officer's like, oh, yeah, cool, fine, whatever. You know, yeah, I just looked it up. It, it, it was easy. She wasn't, she wasn't there. And he, he, he is this man, and he, yeah, he's driven by, by guilt. And then uh, Sarah gets in touch with him and is like, so I knew, I know you're a pet psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. She was right. Shit is fucked. <laughs> they, they got and shows him the 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 um the, the, hook. the yeah the the the, the meat hook uh, and uh, there's just a great bit where they put it down on the coffee table. The coffee table is slightly unevil and it just rattles. Mm. And it is I do, like I obviously so much of my love for this film is that I was clearly at some point I saw this at exactly the right time in exactly the right mood, thinking exactly right things. Yeah. Because like that extended zoom in on it rattling just sits inside my mind and like feels like a profound statement on, on the line of like the works of T.S. Eliot. Like I cannot comprehend why it is such a big thing to me, but it is. And, and he goes, okay. And he kind of goes back and forth on what to do. And, he disposes of the hook and of her belongings, possibly to make it all go away, yeah. to ignore things, to focus on things. He visits, we've seen him before, um, and then later he crosses into East Germany. He visits uh, like the house they lived in, and he sits and has a very uh, mournful sandwich there. <laughs> and, and once more he visits there, and he finds Anka, mm. his missing wife, who is... Oh, don't say Jessica Fletcher, you Jessica Harper. Jessica Harper, who is like, I was lost, but I've come back. It's all fixed. Mm. Hooray. Yeah, there's five minutes of, of the two of them walking around and reconnecting and talking about, you know, missed you so much, but now we can, like, you know, make up for lost time and stuff. And they go for a walk, which ends up uh, right in front of the dance academy. Yep. And Klimper looks up at the academy, realizes where he is. He looks back. She's not there anymore. 
looks back at the academy and uh, the uh, you, you have a door open and uh, and two two of the witches just run out with hooks just screaming. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is it's it's a very good jump scare. Oh, and it, but it is also oh, it's it's great it's great stuff. I just also find it just exquisitely heartbreaking. Oh, oh yeah. It it is like the the horror in Klimper's plot is an emotional horror of desolation of how do you deal with these things. The final scene of the film uh, is that Mother Susperium visits him and, and, and he's in bed and is like, I, I'm sorry that those fuckheads got you all wrapped up in this and I'm going to wipe your memory uh, uh, of all of this. But first, I, I want to tell you what really happened with your wife. And uh, she was taken. Uh, uh, to a work camp in one specific area that is named, that is the area that he says he cleared with the cop. Okay. So the cop was just lying to him in the past. Right. So uh, they, and so it was just the foolish, and these two men are like the the two men cops, (laughs) you know, men cops, uh, kind of satirical portraits of toxic masculinity mm. um, to the point where when they are like <laughs> deliber- humiliating their penises with meat hooks, you're like, good. <laughs> like, that's what you deserve. Just this, this, this group of middle-aged women laughing and being like, look, this is Willie and I've got a meat hook. Anyway. Ah, yeah, there. Have I just awoken something inside myself? <laughs> uh, no. And and so learning that kind of in a way for Klemperer, they are the real villains. And that is something he will know, but will not know because it will be wiped from his mind. And then she does uh, and she leaves and she walks the streets of Berlin. And, and then we leave and then we end on a shot of the favela, not favela, the Dacher, the flat they lived no. in in East Germany. Right, yeah. Uh, of this young family who live in it now, just hanging out. Listen to your mother. One says, oh, subtle Luca. And it just zooms in on the heart that they had carved in to the wall. And the key of of this moment they had together. And so, and then in the story, Mother Susperium tells a Klemperer about how his wife died. It is like they, she was out there. She was in the cold. It was painful. They were forced to stand out there. Thousands of people died. But I will have you know that she was not alone. She was holding people. They felt safe because she was there. And she felt safe because she was there. And her last thoughts were of an evening she once spent with you. Uh, and so it, uh, like, it ends with the statement of like, there, there's all this madness and pain and people can try and control things and just forcibly take more life. And that that act, as Marcos says, is not art. And yet in the coldness, we people find each other. And that even in, in in the cold concrete buildings of East Germany, there can be a happy family and like the love between two people carved into a wall uh, can remain forever. I, and so what I am saying is that it is hard for me to look at this film about how we are just people in bodies stuck within systems on the tide of history. And that all we can do is reach out of ourselves for each other. And that 
when you ignore those ideas, what you end up with is 1977 Suspiria and not think it's one of the greatest films of all time. <laughs> like, I just think it's uh, an incredible work. And so I'm calling it. But it's it, not colorful enough, you <laughs> it, it, But like, it, like it, it, it is not like this film is, yeah, muted and wintry, but it is not, it's not David Fincher beige. It's not David no. Fincher low, contra- low contrast. Like it is. It, it like his sense uh, of how and where to look remains mm. uh, Luca's that is Luca like we're friends um I think it's a beautiful film mm. aesthetically who who shot yeah Sam Boo McDeeprom uh who yeah obviously oh Uncle Boon Me who can recall his past lives oh wow Call Me By Your Name. Oh, Beckett, the upcoming John David Washington, Lloyd Holbrook, Vikander Creeps film. I, uh, Suspiria 2018 to me is a film that is so empirically good. Like, no, it's so good to me in the moment now that I watch it that I cannot understand people not liking it. It feels insane to me. Have I at least faintly swayed you on, you know, quite liking it? Uh, I mean... I mean, yeah, when I first saw the movie, yeah, I, I sort of liked it okay, but I felt it was too long and kind of boring and not really scary enough. But like rewatching it this time, I, I, I had a fucking blast and I definitely don't love it on the level that you love it. I yeah, mean, but the, that's because I'm, I yeah. think I'm too deep, yeah, you know? Yeah, uh, I, I think this is, this is like an 8 out of 10 rather than a 10 out of 10. Yeah. But yeah, no, it, it's great and it rules. So sound yeah, is what sound. we're both saying. Oh yeah, I watch it and don't think about the original Suspiria is is my is my recommendation. Oh, and we didn't really talk talk about Chloe Grace Moretz. Chloe Grace Moretz plays this weird twitchy, uh, nervy angle on this woman who is losing her mind, and it's great. Uh, it's maybe her second best work after Greta. Greta. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, uh, I, 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 I never finished watching Greta. I got like 40 minutes into it. I like uh, the performances in Greta more than I like the film yeah. Greta. Um, and like, obviously, uh, what are you called? Miseducation of Cameron Post is yeah. also great. Um, and, uh, you know, it's hard not to love Tom and Jerry. Yep. Oh, she's Princess Kaguya. Um, in, the, in the American one, right? Mm. No, no, she learned Japanese. Like <laughs> Tilda Swinton learned Italian. Can I just say, as we will possibly never cover, I am love on this. My the reason, like there are many reasons, I believe people should watch I Am Love. Mm. But Tilda Swinton learned Italian and French for that film, and it gets to the point where someone tries to speak to her in English. And she says, sorry, in broken English, I don't speak English. And you 100% buy it, even though it is obviously Tilda Swinton. Yeah, yeah. Like, it is, like, that is how deep that film draws me in. So you, for Yeah. This is a movie that you like a lot. I, I, I love it. I, I, I yeah. Uh, this is a movie that, uh, uh, that, I, that I like a lot as well. So uh, did you know, though, that some people really don't like this movie? Yeah. Because they are they're dumb and wrong. No, they're not like because they went to Suspiria expecting Suspiria, and that's not a not a mistake, you know. So would 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 you like to hear a a half star review of Suspiria twenty eighteen? Yeah, I would. I presume you've chosen one specifically to anger me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what I would do. Yeah. This is a review by Letterbox user Josh S. This is a film that's taken me some time to review as I've constantly had mixed feelings towards it. 
After my most recent and likely final viewing of it, I have come to the realization that it is just not a good film. Dario Argento and Dario Nicolodi's Suspiria carries a special place in my heart. Like so many, it was one of my introductions to Giallo and true cinema. I went into Luca Guadagino's rendition with low expectations and devoid of any thoughts of the original. I know that in modern cinema, directors tend to simply use the source material as as an audience draw and typically steer away from it towards their own vision while leaning on elements of the original work. Upon my first viewing, I can say that I did enjoy it and was thrilled to see and thrilled to see a solid take on a classic. The more I sat with it, though, the more it began to leave a bad taste in my mouth. Still, I wanted to like this movie simply because a good horror film is difficult to come by these days. In my most recent viewing, after years and fully digesting it, I've I've come to grow in anger and pure disdain towards this film. <laughs> now, before I completely rip it to shreds, I will say that there are redeeming qualities to it, but sadly, not enough to elevate it like the director might have hoped. So to begin, I'll start with what I actually enjoyed and found entertaining. For good, the elements of horror in Guadagino's Suspiria are there. Pretty, pretty solid praise. <laughs> that, 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 no, that is very close to like, oh, you seem to be really enjoying yourself up there, you know? I must say I enjoyed the visual components that we see during Susie Banyan's dream sequences and found them to be quite horrific. I will also go on to say that I did enjoy the lore behind the house of Helena Marcos Dance Company and thought that the nod to the Free Mothers canon was a nice touch. The final sequence where we see Susie become Mother Suspiriorum was not bad, and the ritual taking place was both tantalizing and grotesque. I can confidently say that I liked all the notes of in 2018 Suspiria. For a modern day horror, it was considerably horrific. But that, <laughs> but that is about all that it had to offer, and little to offer at that. Unfortunately, that is the extent of what could have vindicated the creation of this film. Now we enter the bad. <laughs> now we enter the bad as my punk album. Yeah, it's, it's, it's my favorite Gaspar Noe movie. <laughs> <laughs> the bad. I'll begin with where I left off in the good, the final ritual sequence. While I did find this to be admirable in not, in not holding back on the gore and bloodshed, it falls flat in being paired with Tom York's score. I understand that objectively, this should be a tragic scene and should have tragic music to go along with it, but Tom York's vocals did a quick and easy job of removing me from a film entirely. I felt as though Tom saw this as an opportunity to hash out some unfinished projects he had been working on. For a film that is centered around a renowned dance troupe, the music is dull and falls flat throughout. Music is an important element of film, and I believe it to be as important as the cinematography. Did we need Tom York? Did we need to hear him sing to add to the drama of it? In short, no, we did not. Perhaps the score would have had more legs if Tom York's vocals were removed. Moving on, I felt that the Dr. Joseph Klemperer character was entirely unneeded. I get that he was used as the vehicle to drive the investigation into the Marcos Dance Company, but a majority of his screen time is him reminiscing about his, about his missing wife, played by Jessica Harper, the true Susie Banyan, and just walking around. The investigatory character could have could have much more easily been played by someone within the troupe. I guess Luca Guadagino thought that Tilda Swinton was too damn good to be bogged down to one character. In short, this character was dull and useless in pushing the story forward. The next big one was the backdrop of the German autumn conflict taking place in Berlin. I found that this did absolutely nothing for the film except to show that the director is capable of doing research. The, the only tie-in is so minor you forget that the character involved in it even exists. The main characters are, un- are unbothered by the conflict, and as a viewer, we also forget that it's, that it's even taking place. 
It seems as though the director started to make a film profiling the German autumn conflict and then watched Suspiria and thought of how much cooler it would be to make. The inclusion of this part of history in a film that did not need it also speaks to the, the directing of it as a whole. This has been titled by some as a vanity project, showing that the director knows both classic cinema and history. It is designed to show how needed the director is in the realm of filmmaking, but the goal is so transparent it is easy to see this film simply as a tool to highlight themselves. What adds to this is the breakdown of the film into six acts and an epilogue. The film has a runtime of about two and a half hours, which, which normally teeters between being just right or too drawn out. For Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria, it is the latter. As I mentioned, so much of the film is Dr. Joseph haphazardly investigating and dull, drudging dialogue within the dance company. This film will throw out title cards for, for the preceding acts of the film, but we don't really see any major changes to the tempo of the film until the final moments. What was the director trying to do by introducing six different acts? Again, showing how, how needed they are and how capable they are at telling a story. Overall, these were my major gripes with the film. I can go on to critique the acting of it as well, but that might seem like low-hanging fruit. It may not seem like much, but the majority of the film feels like Luca Guadagnino patting himself on the back for simply making it and putting these ingredients on the screen. My favorite critique of a film comes from Dario Argento, in which he stated, It betrayed the spirit of the original film. There is no fear. There is no music. All this is true, as the film takes a much duller tone in the cinematography, and as a reader, you know delivers poorly in its score. I believe that Luca Guadagnino wanted to show that he was capable of making Suspiria, and ignored everything that made the original so great. It truly feels like a resume for Luca Guadagnino setting, Look how capable I am, Hollywood. History? You got it. Remakes? You got it. Art house? You kinda got it. If the title were removed, would we have a better film? Perhaps. But, but that is not the case, and was used to bank on nostalgia and past success. Filmmakers will always do this, as it's one of the oldest moves in filmmaking. Big shoes are always hard to fill, which is why I began by giving the director some credit for making it. Now that I'm free of sympathy for Luca, I can wrap this up and say, do yourself a favor and stick to the original. I would also like to say rest in peace to the great Daria Nicolodi, who sadly passed away this year. She is an icon and responsible for elevating the giallo genre. She will be missed and will always be loved. Simply, thank you, Daria. What a, what a, what a fitting cenotaph. What a, what a mighty memorial. Dude two points on that i want to there are three points uh the first one is that uh i want that man put on some kind of a blacklist uh uh the the second uh is that yeah his use of tantalizing to describe (laughs) that scene troubles me and uh makes me want to hit a point which is this is a film about a dance studio in which there's lots of dancing uh, and the dancers are women between the age of like uh, 20 and 40. And uh, like in dance gear, including like Volk, they're basically in their underwear and strips of fabric. And yet it never seems to leer at mm. them. And like, but it, it, it never seems to leer at them. Uh, 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 the only male gaze is the male gay directing it. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, that is not, without like so much of this film's like the thing i love about this film's dance sequence is is that they are about the beauty of dance without the objectification of the dancer right yeah and and the other thing is the 
idea. Yeah, you Suspiria 1977 is if you like Giallo and uh, to use it uh, that phrase, true cinema um, is is big shoes to fill, mm. uh, which is why you wouldn't attempt to fill them yes. and make shoes of your own. Uh, in conclusion, fuck that guy. Yeah, it's a little known fact, but Luca Guadagino actually uh, trained to be a cobbler before making this film. <laughs> and, <laughs> so he and, can make his own shoes. And also, point four, the idea that of attacking a film because a director wants to direct it. <laughs> I have terrible news for this guy in literally every other film uh, ever well, and, produced. And, and also using it as a critique of this film and to uplift Suspiria, which is like, that film was fucking directed. I, yeah. Anyway. Um, so, would you like to guess Josh's top four? Yeah, is one of them Suspiria? Uh, no, I'll, I'll tell you what, of the three I've seen, like them all, the fourth one seems like a thing I'd like as well. This person has a good taste. Oh, no, no they don't. But, okay. <laughs> okay. The, 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 this, this person likes good things, possibly for the right reasons. Who can tell? I, no, we can tell. We can. I, I have Finn. Listen to me. I have one data point, which is that <laughs> he thinks a film I love mm. and have incorporated into a point of my personality is bad. And from that, I can heavily well, I mean, extrapolate. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at his recent activity as well. It seems like there might be two movies that you love that, uh, okay. What is the other one? Uh, he, 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 uh, he, he gave, uh, 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 he, he gave F9, the, the 10th fast and furious movie, two stars. No, we can't go like, I want to know where that sits relative to the other fast and furious films is my thing. Oh, anyway. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. We okay, can't so, drill. To, we, uh, yeah. No, this so, is now an investigative podcast. <laughs> Uh, so one of his top four is a short film by Kenneth Anger called Rabbit's Moon, uh, yeah. which uh, there have been other people with with Kenneth Anger stuff before. Neither of us have seen any Kenneth Anger, but he he seems like a guy that we'd like. And Kenneth Anger strikes me as someone where I don't I haven't knowingly seen any of his films, mm. but also like I feel like if I might watch one and be like, oh, I was shown this in a film class, yeah. you know, like I he he's he's he there's like a penumbral idea of him in yeah. my mind, yeah. The next film on his list is another film set in a divided Berlin. Atomic Blonde. No. The Lives of Others. No. It's also sort of a horror movie. It stars uh, Sam Neill. The Omen? No, 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 no that's, that's in America. This is yeah, he's, a, a he's a president ob- in that. This is obvious, right? Uh, yeah. It is to me because this is a movie that I uh, love. Um, who directed it? Uh, it was directed by, on- by Andrzej Zulowski, the the Polish director. No, I don't think I know it. Uh, this is Possession with Isabella oh, Gianni. Yes, Possession is a film I know I have not seen mm. and I didn't know Sam Neill. Anyway. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, Possession is a movie starring Isabella Gianni and Sam Neill. It's a movie where Isabella Gianni uh, leaves her husband Sam Neill for a new man and then leaves that man for a tentacle monster. <laughs> uh, and, and Isabella Gianni and Sam Neill give uh, two of the best performances in the history of cinema. But the tentacle creature... Mm. Look. Like, it was his first role, you know. If, if, he's, he's, still, he's still learning. Uh, I don't think you get points for showing up. Look mm. at all the great debut performances from Squid. That one, an old boy, it really gave mm. himself to his art. <laughs> the next film is, uh, look, it's, it's not official or anything, but uh, this definitely could be a prequel to Teletubbies. Oh, Videodrome? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, the final film on Josh's top four is, uh, it's a film about living in a blasted industrial landscape and having, uh, and having a bad haircut. Feels like there's a misdirection happening, but I also don't want to say the right answer. Is it a razor here? Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. What's well, another film that, like, 
stop making sense. <laughs> you know? He's got a great haircut in there. Rocky Five, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Finn. Yes. Where can Who people... cares? <laughs> Who cares? Where, Finn, no, no. you've got to let us... This might be someone's first episode. <laughs> I hope it is. I hope they've just enjoyed listening to what I'm going to say is three hours ten. Yeah, pr- probably. Three, ten, twenty uh, 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 of discussion. So we got to do the whole bit. I'm, so Finn, yes, tell me this. What? What do you want? Well, what I what I really, really want is, I mean, I want to think of a, a better, like, better username on Twitter so that I can... Uh, okay, yeah. I, I was just I I was hoping you'd complete the Sperry reference and say to die. Oh right, no. <laughs> for, for you doing Spice Girls. <laughs> Where can people find you online? Uh, who cares? You can find the show on Twitter at <laughs> Shite Sound Pod, or you can email us at shitesoundpod at gmail dot com. Why not check out our website? It's at shiteandsound dot com. It's and the word, not and the end percent. Uh, uh, I have podcasts called The Slow Path, where me and my partner Briar watch Doctor Who until we die, and The Witching Hours, uh, which is a radio drama website. Find them on your podcatchers of choice. Mm. Social media-wise, I'm Yutha Lives, that's U-T-H-E-R-L-I-V-E-S, and my newsletter, The Dean's List, is at bit.ly slash Yutha Lives. Our theme song, Finn, is The Nux by Kazam Blam. Check him out on Bandcamp and in the good New Zealand film, Cousins. Yeah, you, you, you can see him in the background of two shots. No, he gets a close-up. The Nothing? angry oh, street he's like, preacher. He's like shouting. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you see that angry street preacher, you can be like, he wrote the nuts. Uh, um, well, no, him and MC Ridiculoid did. Ridiculoid being a puppet alien. Uh, <laughs> it's good, because I'm blame. It's good. Check him out on Bandcamp. Uh, what are we watching next week, Finn? Oh, the next week, Yufa, is a heavyweight bout. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> But, no, 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 no. Between, no. between two of the top contenders for best boxing movie ever, it's uh, Martin Scorsese's Raging Bull and John G. Elvidson's Rocky Five. Uh, if you like the show, tell your friends, yeah. like and subscribe, uh, share, leave us a review if your podcatcher of choice has that option. Hey, think of the one person in your life who you think would really vibe with the show, there's definitely someone, you know, the quiet friend, the one who you're worried might just, like, go off. I think he, the, the, if we're the, fair, yeah, would the, like this, this show. This would be a good calming influence on them. I, I, I think this episode, considering it's two films that people might have seen, <laughs> yeah, would, would be a good calming influence. Uh, yeah, yes, I would... Con- anyway, sorry, um, movies are good. Especially good ones. <laughs> Go watch them. And just watch Suspiria 2018 without thinking about Suspiria 2017. Yeah. It's really like... 1977. Yeah. You said 2017. Retake. Okay, so, Ben. Yes. Let's talk. What are bodies? (laughs) Uh, Well, first and foremost, they're meat.
I just forgot the word office because yeah. I hate Ricky Gervais. <laughs> but I love Steve Carell. Ah, uh, John Krasinski. Yeah, no, I, I, I've forgotten the word office. Uh, um, is John Krasinski, man. Yeah. Has the, J- J-Dog, as we call him. Just the most incredible <laughs> crisis of public masculinity <laughs> ever, right? Like... He was the lead on one of the most popular and beloved sitcoms of all time, mm. but he didn't get cast as Captain America. And so he was all like, oh, I could be Jack Ryan. I pray to the CIA. Oh. Yeah. But, but he also made a YouTube show about how nice it is when nice stuff happens. Hey, it's a TV show now. Yeah. Yeah, he did like... He did like seven episodes of this fucking YouTube channel and was like, I'm going to sell this for like $20 million now. I, if you, I would, if I was offered that, I would accept it. But you're, you're not already a rich person. You don't know that. I do. Prove it. I'm in your, I'm in, I mean, I'm, I'm in, I'm in your flat right now. <laughs> this, what is, is, is this not opulence? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, fuck. Um, <laughs> 